You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 215 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Hello, hello, hello. So we're all a bit knackered, guys, because it's been quite a fun-filled weekend. <laughs> it has. Every <laughs> single part of my body aches. Yeah. So um, this is, of course, our Warhammer Fest special episode because we're recording this a day after returning from Manchester, uh, having taken in all the hobby goodness that the weekend has, has brought us. So what we're going to be doing uh, on this week's podcast is um, we're going to be splitting up Warhammer Fest basically into two major sections, one of which we're going to talk about all the reveals, all the things that we saw, all the new tasty stuff that's coming out in the next few months. And then in the second section, we're going to be talking more about the event itself, what else was on display, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, we will, of course, have our top three reveals later on in the show, and I believe we've been inundated with some community top threes as well. So we're going to read out as many of those as we can before the end of the show. Now, before we get stuck into all of that amazing content, let's have a quick chat about what we've been doing in the hobby. Let's uh, let's keep the usual this usual segment going. So uh, let's pick on uh, let's pick on Jay first. Jay, what have you been up to in the well since <laughs> the last podcast, really? Um, yeah, so since the last podcast, I have been not doing what I'm thinking now. I don't actually think I've done a lot, but I am currently working on some Blood Angels Terminators for the Horus Heresy. Um, so yeah, I, I don't actually think I've completed anything since the last podcast. That's so bad, isn't it? I think we're all allowed, um, slightly, uh, <laughs> slightly less for it. I mean, I've I've not probably done that much uh, extra to to you, Jay. Um, I'm, I'm doing. I'm currently working on a project I can't talk about, which is pretty boring. Um, and aside from that, I've not really been doing. Um, I've not really been doing much else. I've been doing a little bit of uh, Imperial. Oh, I tell you what, I did do. I did paint the Stormcast from the latest Warhammer Underworlds um, box, um, of which the name's escaped me. Weird Hollow. Um, so it's like a unit of Night Arcanums. Um, I learned a lot painting these guys, actually, because um, I've recently started a new Stormcast army, um, and I decided to, 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 to paint these in the same way as my test model. Um, and I, d- I didn't quite get on with it as, as well as I, I hoped. I'm still happy with how they turned out, um, but there are a few things I'm going to do differently as I paint more Stormcast uh, and get that army going again. Um, but the models themselves were fantastic. They're easy build, as you would expect from Warhammer Underworlds. And um, they were actually the easiest easy build kits I've ever built. Sometimes, especially with the Underworlds Warbands, I always feel like you need that third hand to hold something as you're kind of pushing parts together. But I had no such drama with the uh, with the Stonecast from that box. Um, aside from that, I don't think I've really got that much else to, um, to talk about, which is pretty boring. So uh, oh, Matt I bail did. us out. I- I did, oh. I did, I did sort out all my uh, fancy Warhammer dwarfs. Oh yeah, did, uh, yeah. And uh, I've been, I've got a, a unit of about twenty Ironbreakers that are currently um, in a death toll bath. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, there's another fifteen Ironbreakers on the breakfast bar with, I think there's about twenty Slayers, about thirty odd Longbeards, a whole host of different metal 
characters, uh, Anvil of Doom, Goblin Hewer, um, a couple of stone throwers. So this is all, all with the, uh, the current sort of old world hype. We had the news about the base sizes um, a week or two ago that sort of triggered it off. Mm. So I've been and rebasing them all. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some old world, talk, old world talk a little bit later on in the show as well. Uh, Matt, you've always got plenty to talk about. What have you been doing in the hobby? I have. Well, I've been mostly painting uh, Ephilim's Pandemonium, who are a gorgeous warband for Warhammer Underworlds in the uh, the weird hollow box. Uh, yeah, they're Zinch, but with the weird turned up to 11. Yeah, these are unlike any Zeech we've really seen before, I, I guess. Yeah, more more twisted and muted and corrupted by the powers of chaos. So that would be a good excuse to get some really like vibrant colours through the airbrush on them. And I think they've turned out all right. Yeah, they, they look excellent, really vibrant. Um, I love what you can do with your airbrush. It's, it's so cool. What, what um, do you get in that box? Because it's like a sorcerer-type character. But is there a couple of demons as well? So, so one of them is kind of a pink horror. And one of right. them is kind of a brimstone horror, and one of them is kind of a zangor, and one of them is like a mutant fish. Um, <laughs> but, but none of them really could be identified as, as things out of Age of Sigma, really. The, the, the lore is that, obviously, in the current season of Underworlds, we're in the tunnels caused by the roots of the Narlokes in, in the Narwood. So the, the Narlokes are living beings that move around the Narwood. So as they kind of pull the roots out of the ground, they leave these tunnels. But they're all infused with magical energy. So this residual magical force, there's each warband's trying to do to create new chaotic creatures. And presumably the Pandemonium are these creatures that have been created by this raw chaos energy. So, yes, they're pretty cool. Uh, I've also been working on the new Promethean for uh, Conquest of the Last Argument of Kings. He's a massive model. So I just started uh, airbrushing up the skin on him and then kind of get that finished off. And we'll have an unboxing on the channel soon. Yeah, he's massive, isn't he? Absolutely huge. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a big chap. Um, so, yeah, so that was really fun. And then I've been building loads and loads of stuff as well. So, um, yeah, lots of exciting stuff on the horizon. Now, we've got one more person to go to. Don't let us down, Andy. What have you been up to in that hobby? <laughs> um, so I have been getting ready to for Warhammer Fest. That's, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Um, so I painted up the last four members of my Chaos Legionnaire Warband for Warcry. Um, I think they've been on my painting desk for probably about three months. Um so they were long overdue, but I managed to get them done for Warhammer Fest, which we'll talk about later in the episode. Um, but yeah, I managed to get them done. Um, I also painted up um, another model, funnily enough, that's been sat on my painting desk for a couple of months. And that's uh, Crossbones for MCP, for Marvel Crisis. Oh, nice. Um, I managed to get him done. Um, I've got Black Widow built um, and I've primed her black, but... So far, that's all I've uh, got up to with her. Um, and, yeah, that's pretty much been it. Um, like I said, I've been sort of getting stuff ready for uh, Warhammer Fest. Um, in the games of Warcry I've been playing, I've been finding... Um, I don't like having loads of tokens on the board. So I did my own sort of, like, um, kind of scorecard to not only keep track of, like, victory points, but also keep track of how many wounds and 
how many activations my fighters have and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, I'll talk about it a bit more when I talk about our experiences at Warhammer Fest. But yeah, I managed to get that um, sort of done. I mean, I bought myself a laminator and uh, laminated literally anything <laughs> and everything I could. Um, there's a, there's yeah, a strange but, fun about laminating stuff, I find. It's so satisfying. So mm. unbelievably satisfying. I had the, um, so in Warcry, you have like um, ability cards uh, for your warband. And I didn't have to. I just laminated that as well because <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not indeed? Uh, yeah, but that, that that's pretty much been it. Just been painting the Warcry and some Marvel, Cry- Marvel Crisis Protocol. It's funny you should mention Marvel actually because I've I've got the box literally next to me begging to be built the the core set and I just haven't got around to it yet. But I w- I will do soon hopefully. When's a bit of a break in the hobby, I'll um. I'll get cracking with with that, and hopefully I can have some games of yourself and and Matt, who's got quite a few mm. uh, Marvel models now painted. Uh, so that brings this first segment of this week's podcast to a close. But we have got plenty of Warhammer Fest content to go through, starting off with those all important reveals. So grab yourself a fresh brew and let's get stuck into that. So it is finally time to start talking about Warhammer Fest. Now, one of the key things about this weekend's um, hobby event is the amount of seminars that were on uh, show, showing off lots of new stuff over the coming few months for various different Warhammer games. So for this first section of our sort of Warhammer Fest coverage, we're going to go through each and every one of those major reveals. Matt, I believe you have the running order up in front of you. So do you want to take it from here? I do. So, yeah, there's an, there's an awful lot of reveal. And I think we, we, we thought there'd be quite a bit of reveal, but I think even us were, were surprised by this. Now, before before we kind of go into this, just need to do a little bit of a upfront thing. We were offered tickets by Warhammer Community to come down to Warhammer Fest. However, we had already also bought tickets ourselves, so we did pay out of our own pocket too to come along to Warhammer Fest. But, yeah, the Warcome guys invited us down and gave us permission to, to film and everything, which is really cool. So, yeah, the biggie, I suppose, was the 10th edition of Warhammer 40,000 and the, the new box set for that. I know we'd all been expecting this. We knew it was probably going to be Tyrannus versus Space Marines. But on the date, we found out it is called Leviathan, which is about the uh, the latest invasion by the Tyranids that has pretty much overthrown the entire galaxy. It sounds pretty exciting from a lore point of view. So, I mean, was anyone surprised by this box? <laughs> no, not at this point. It was, you know, a pretty safe bet that this was going to be revealed. But um, I was still really sort of surprised to see you know the contents and, and and learn more about it yeah i know we saw that trailer a while ago which is obviously you know everything in that video is in the box we kind of guessed that but quite a few things we got a little bit wrong didn't we now it looks like it's a big chock filled box and there's a little bit of info that was shared on the um the q a's afterwards this box is going to be more than the indomitus box but less than the horus heresy box now throughout the event there was uh chances to win a copy of leviathan and in the t's and c's it mentions that the prize value is 150 pounds so you don't need to be some kind of mathematician to work out that leviathan is going to retail at 150 pounds and you know what i don't think that's a bad price at all so as we get the new the new rules in there interestingly the new book is kind of split into three sections so you've kind of got the law in there 
you've got the rules in there and you've got a full crusade expansion as well that we'll talk about in a little bit that big combined book is going to be exclusive to the leviathan box and then later on those individual components will be released separately so that's that's pretty cool uh, you've got all the cards for generation missions so the way missions works is completely different than the previous edition of the game it's more like the tempest of war where they're generated on the fly and, and objectives can change each turn there's no uh you know grand strategies and battle tactics i know that's something you're a little bit worried about uh jay if it takes some inspiration from age of sigmar yeah yeah i i quite like the sound of these uh sort of mission sort of um uh, structure yeah and, and again it's also moved away from the each army having its own bespoke missions that you pick from it's just a big like universal deck now it could be that maybe in future releases other cards get released and get shuffled into that deck but i think with the ran like the random element in there it's going to be harder to I, I, I guess game your list around your objective because you still need to be able to do the other ones in the deck. So an all comers, and again that was something we talked about in the previous game. It's you're going to want all comers if there's. I mean, we haven't seen the cards in here yet, but presumably there's going to be a range of different things that you're trying to do. So I, I, I guess that's going to kind of b- balance the game and what armies that you bring. Uh, but the big thing that most people are going to be excited about is the miniatures, isn't it? So there's 25 Space Marines and 47 Tyranids, and they look really cool. So on the Marine side, we've got the Captain in Terminator armor, who just looks iconic, doesn't he? He's um so yeah, he's like the he's like he's not a named character, but he he is sort of named um is it um Agamon? Is it Severus Agamon? I can't remember now. The first Captain of the Ultramarines. Mm. Um, but yeah, really really cool cool model and i mean when you see this guy in the plastic as well because obviously the terminators have been upscaled um this is a beast isn't he he's, he's, he's a big, big chunky boy yeah yeah very, very I, imposing i am um, alongside him there's the librarian terminator and we've seen him before in the previews but again seeing the model in the flesh was just beautiful wasn't it yeah the new scale for the terminator models is really really cool yeah I, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, and these two characters definitely led the way in this box. I really love that captain. Yeah, so more new bits that we saw for the Space Marines was an apothecary bio, biologist, which is a new variety of apothecary for the uh, Space Marines. He looks pretty cool, carrying his kind of like, I assume it's a big canister of gene seed or something. Yeah, uh, well, they said he, um, he, he doesn't heal like other apothecaries. Um, so, you know, we've not seen any rules yet, but maybe a hint there that he plays a bit different than other apothecaries and me and dave we were standing by the cabinet we were looking at this guy and it's an incredible model in gravis armor uh, the only model in the box that is in gravis armor um and i do wonder whether it would have been nice to see this guy in terminator armor instead um like a terminator apothecary rather than gravis but all that said it was still a really really nice looking model um, I think this is my favorite apothecary model ever i love the um like the container that he's carrying uh, that's really cool because they said, didn't they? This guy's more about collecting kind of um, Xenos kind of samples. Yeah, is the best best word, rather than concentrating on healing all your Marines and capturing your Gene Z back. Yeah, so so I guess from a from a law point of view, he's kind of researching the Tyranids and, and seeing how he can best use their own physiology no, against them. He's building um, the best Tyranid Pokemon team you can build. All that, one of the two. One of the two. Uh, obviously, we've seen the lieutenant in Phobos armor. I think we've spoken about him before. What is new in the box, and a lot of people were excited for, were the new Stern Guard veteran squad. So they did clarify that the existing Stern Guard set will be discontinued when this box comes out. 
This one is push fit, as is everything in the box, but that doesn't rule out there being a multi-part release in the future. I mean, these guys look beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of um, sort of like unique war gear for the Stern Guard, isn't there? Like the bolt guns are different, the helmets are different. There's a lot of heldry on them. Um, although they did say that all the ultramarine heldry was just transfers and stuff, didn't they? Mm. Um, and and we were sort of in the seminar, and I think Adam or Eddie, I can't remember which one, said the the transfer sheet literally covers pretty much all of the main chapters. Um, yeah, I think they mentioned it was 200 plus transfers on it, including tiny little text and stuff. Yeah, uh, and and the Stern God with the heavy bolter as well, which, yeah, looks amazing. They definitely look like specialists to me. Uh, what I really liked about these as well, Andy, was it was the, you mentioned the heavy bolter there. These guys look like old school Marines to me. And I mean, I do like the Primaris range, um, but I have to say sometimes when I see the next Melter blast whatever or super last <laughs> something or other I, i'm thinking oh man i wish they'd just give it a melter gun or a last gun it's just because i'm an old gamer i think or a heavy bolter yeah. and it's really pleased to see a heavy bolter on this squad and uh they had the combi plasmas and the combi melters as well you know this this kind of came up as well and it was like the question of well these are these firstborn or primaris and the response was the kind of the lines are blurred it doesn't really matter it's a space marine and from yeah. a rules point of view, that seems to have less impact now as well. So, you know, there's there's more potential for just upscaled versions of new stuff. Everything's going to be primarily sized, but it doesn't really matter, no. you know, who's inside the suit. It's just a unit. And I think that's a good way to do it, because I think a lot of people have got a lot kind of, I, I, I don't know, heads up about the primaries firstborn thing where they're just space marines, which is good. Mm. Yeah. Um, like Jay says, it means that if they did a new Devastator squad, maybe it could just yeah. be a Devastator squad. They're primarily size, but they've got those classic weapons. Maybe. You don't. You don't have to give them a law reason why they'd be called something else. I suppose even even more as a good example and one for Jay is the Sanguini. Sanguini. I can't even say it. Sanguinary guard. That's <laughs> it. You, you wouldn't have to come up with some law reason why they're now all Primaris. You just upscale them and call them the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, the, the the star of the the um, space marine side, I think, is those new terminators that we've seen before. Again, these are push fit, but that doesn't discount there being um, multi part kits in the future. Like with all this stuff, we saw it with Indomitus. That come on, a lot. Some of these kits will stay as as push fit kits that you can buy, like the Outriders did, where some of the more like, stuff like the 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 the, um, the veterans and the terminators. I would bet my bottom dollar that these are going to get multi-part kits with maybe some sort of options and stuff in the future. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then that way they could maybe have upgrade sprues to up, to convert them into, you know, some of the specialist Terminators maybe that we see in other um, lead, uh, chapters as well. Yeah. Um, another new squad that was added here is the Inferno Squad. This is a squad of 10 Space Marines armed with flamers. Uh, Pyre Blasters, actually, which I think were in the... Grey Knights um, book, were they, Jay? Uh, no, Black, Black Templars. Templars. Yeah, one of the um, uh, Crusader squad could carry a Pyre Blaster, yeah. So one's pretty cool. Ten, I suspect, is even better <laughs> for shooting at a big horde of Tyranids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I quite like these. I mean, the, the, the classic, like, Intercessor kind of, like, style, aren't they, just with a different gun? Well, I have to say, these were the most, the least interesting when I first caught the reveal. But having seen them in the cabinet... I think the sculptors have done such a good job with the poses of these guys. You've got ones like, I think there's one lobbing a grenade. There's one getting a blade out of a, of a scabbard. 
Um, considering it's a squad of 10 identically armoured guys with 10 identical weapons, they've done a really, really cool job of, of making the, the squad look quite um, yeah. varied and unique. Um, so these grew on me as the as the weekend went and we kept walking past the cabinet. I, I, I sort of warmed, no pun intended, to these guys quite <laughs> quite um, quite a lot over the course of the weekend. Yeah, something I always point out from the from the Q and A afterwards is that obviously all these are push fit models, so in the majority of cases their shoulder pads will be attached to the model. So for the case of converting them for specifically stuff like you, Dave, for Death Watch, yeah. it's going to take a little bit more work. And again, there is the potential that multi pot kits come out at some point, but I guess the real focus is this um, Leviathan box, isn't it? And, and they are push fit in that. Yeah. And um, w- one thing they didn't mention is that in some of the previous boxes they've they've used some spruce space to make multiple different builds that you can swap out in this box they wanted to maximize the spruce space to include as many models as possible and you know what i think that's fine like all these guys there might be a couple of duplicate poses because i suspect it's going to come on two sprues of five mm. but really um you know they, they they look good as a unit don't they yeah, they do they do. They do. So, so that's cool. What is the coolest model on the Space Marine side, though, is the new Ballista Dreadnought. So this is a glow-up, I guess, of the old box Dreadnought with mm-hmm. Missile Launcher and LAS Cannon. It He's bringing same... the Dacker. <laughs> he is bringing the Dacker, yeah. It takes that same kind of, the same role as that classic Dreadnought, but scales it up to the, you know, the, the, the new size of the Dreadnoughts. And this is my favourite of the Primaris Dreadnoughts, personally. I don't know what you about you guys. Ooh. I I like the um uh, which one was the previous one with the fist was it the brutalis brutalis yeah I think that one really grew on me I mean this one's the complete opposite and that those las cannons look <laughs> they, they look frightening to be quite frank but um, yeah I think the brutalis is my favourite yeah they were saying that this the, while the other ones like stomping through the kind of the forefront of the enemy this is the guy that will quite happily sit at the very back of your deployment zone and shoot things and then people have to get to it and then get to its armor to destroy it yeah jay made a good point actually when i first saw the dreadnought I, I don't know what i was expecting i was expecting it to be a bit more dynamic especially when we talk about the models on the other side of the box but jay quite re- rightly pointed out to me that you know this guy is supposed to be kind of like stood still Far enough. And ever since Jay said that, actually, the Dreadnought's grown on me and I actually quite like it now. Um, it's kind of like my brain's accepted that it's obviously not going to be charging forward, is it? It's going to be, you know, at the <laughs> yeah. back. Charge me forward so I can smack something with my last cannon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, 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 it deploys and it, in a in perfect situation, stays there for the rest of the battle, doesn't it? Shooting at things. Moves just to get better line of sight. Yeah. So, no, I really, really like that. And I'll be painting up this half of the box as Dark Angels. There's quite a lot of stuff, uh, First Company here, really, isn't there? Mm. So um, you could do a uh, Deathwing army. Interestingly, is a Deathwing transfer that goes on this Dreadnought as well. I don't know if that's a new law convention, uh, Deathwing Dreadnoughts, Jay. Uh, Have we seen no, them before? I think yeah, I think I think if yeah. you, I think all the um, Dark Angels Dreadnoughts are Deathwing, so they're painted they? bone. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, so I think uh, obviously a few of the units are going to be green, but yeah, a lot of bone marines in this box, which will look really nice next to the lion. I think this box. Um, but the other side of the box is the side that really excites me, and I know Dave has been there. His head was turned <laughs> after seeing the models in the in the cabinet, but it is uh-huh. of course the Tyranids. We heard lots of rumours, and thankfully, 
I think it's safe to say that the rumours were bobbins that we heard about this box. So we've got lots of cool stuff that we've not seen before. Uh, obviously got the winged high, uh, tyrant, uh, blah, blah, blah. we've got the winged tyranid prime that we've seen on Warcom. That's really nice, but it seemed a bit smaller in the flesh than I expected him to be. He is very much um, sorry, like warrior, warrior size, size isn't he? Yeah. 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 So I wouldn't surprise me if we see a unit of shrikes to go with this guy, and multi-part ones would probably be a bit more. Um, I guess poseable with some like flying swan on the ground. That'd be really cool. Uh, the leader of this box, though, is a new strain of tyrant, a neuro tyrant. So this mm. is a big psychic brain bug. Um, it blocks warp based communication. So I wonder if it has some kind of effect on like navigators and stuff as well. So maybe this comes into the planet and just shuts down the warp entirely. Yeah. Um, and then he's got little kind of like. I forget what they're called. Little uh, neuro, neuro beacons, neurospore, something like that. Little um, creatures that basically extend synapse range and act as focusing nodes. What I really like about this model, though, is the crest on both the big bug and his little buddy bugs is the same crest that's on the classic zoanthrope. Mm. So it's like yeah, they're right. given a role to this new kind of psychic creature and. The, Eddie and um, Eddie mentioned that the the way that armies work in the new edition is that if you want to do a psychic army, for example, you could have like neuro tyrant and all the psychery stuff. Or if you wanted to have a more aggressive army, it's like hive tyrant and all the more combat oriented stuff. Or of course, you could have a mixture of everything to have a balanced <laughs> list. Have both. Have both. Why not have both? Um, one thing that you will want to have in your army. Is well, I don't think it's a secret that on this podcast, one of my favourite models of all time is the Screamer Killer, released in 1992 or three, I want to say. It was a massive chunk of metal, one of the most detailed and beautiful sculpts ever known in existence, with its mighty forearms ready to give enemies a hug. Now I know a lot of people have joked at it and said it looks ridiculous, but uh, he's been working out at the gym for the last uh, 30 years, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely has. Yeah, so the Screamer Killer returns in plastic, and he's a big boy now. He's huge. He is massive. He looks mean as. He is very different looking than, yeah, well, what he, the current iteration is like a alternate build for Carnifex. This guy's stood up. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's interesting to say, Dave, when you compare it to the Carnifex. So the, so the sort of previous generation of Tyranid models, they did look good. And they did look very sort of monstrous. But I have to say, this new generation of teams, I think they've got so much more character. They look mm. almost like, I don't know, they've got personalities. I think they've done a really, really good. And me and you were staring at this through the glass, Dave, and I'm thinking, that's a push fit model. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah. You go back, yeah. how you know, five, ten years to push fit models that Games Workshop are producing and then compare it to this thing. Oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, and this is, you look at this and you go, that is a screamer killer. It is that old model from the 90s, but kind of done with modern design style, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be building the Tyranid army, um, but I have to say that this model is, is absolutely fantastic. I think it's the, the screamer killer is the, the model of the box for me. Yeah. I, 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 um, I, I mean, obviously, we've got more Tyranids to talk about yet, but I, I had a Tyranid army, which I've not so long ago said goodbye to, and these have completely... This, this side of the box has completely got me back on the Tyranids. Um, yeah, they, it's like they've completely revigorated the range, and I'm sure we've got more to see as well. 
But just from this box, it's completely revitalised my interest in that faction. What yeah. excites me about this model in particular is I expect, we don't know, but I expect there'll be a multi-part kit for this model down the line. Yeah. I, I What's that going to look like? <laughs> well, we see this, guy, this guy's really cool, but if you bought multiple Leviathan boxes, they'd kind of look like they're doing a dance all in the same pose, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, they would. Um, where a multi-part one, I've got a, I've got a theory a multi-part one might build a new strain of old one eye. Yeah, because well, it, yeah. the, the, the the law for the kind of one-off tyrannid creatures has changed a little bit. It used to be that the Swarm Lord was only ever in one place of the galaxy in the time, where now it's a new strain that the hive mind can create when it needs to. The same could apply to old one eye. Maybe for whatever reason, they, they, they put him into a, a, a screamer killer body. So yeah, and that'd be a cool. Or even give it a new name, but I think there could be like a character version of this, in let, allowing you to do like screamer killer armies. Yeah, which would be really really cool. Uh, we've got the von uh, the von Ryan's leapers. We've seen these on Warcom, but these are like a Lichter style infantry unit. They're, they're smaller than you'd imagine them to be. Um, but again, we mentioned earlier about doing different flavors of armies. I can very much see there being. HQ options for all the various like Geno strains. So if you want to do pure stealthy, you know, invisible shenanigans, you know, uh, Lictor flavor army, you could do as well. So yeah, really like these. I really like these. I thought these were better in person than they were on the images. Um, yeah, definitely going to be using a unit of these. They look incredible. Um, yeah, a load of new termagants as well. Obviously, we've talked about them already. What is new are the Neurogaunts. So this is a new infantry squad that um, extends the synapse range. So traditionally, your bigger bugs would extend your synapse. We've played some games where some of my units have got a synapse range, haven't they? But if you've got a quick little infantry squad whose only role is to kind of plug those gaps in synapse, that's a really nice little niche for a unit without having to have a, a character stood there just as a, uh, you know, Wi-Fi booster. <laughs> yeah, and I think that gives the turn player. I mean, we've not seen seen the rules, but a few more tactical options because obviously, as an as an opponent, you know, you they're probably not doing much damage to you on their own, but the the net effect of extending that science range with other units is going to be a bit of a problem for you. So you're going to have to dedicate probably more resources than really they're worth spending to deal with them. So yeah, I imagine it's going to be a cheap little throwaway unit. But like you say, if you if you can kill them, that maybe takes the left flank of the board out of synapse but again it's it's you, if you're shooting them you're not exactly. shooting the massive screamer killer that's bearing down on you yeah exactly so so that's fun and then we get the barb gaunts who are another new variety of gaunt uh that if, they're kind of like if a gaunt and a biovore had a baby similar kind <laughs> of like artillery system where it's a parasite on their back that fires giant kind of weapons um i love these guys they're really weird because they, they have got four limbs, but I think they've only got three feet on the ground, and the fourth one is kind of like feeding the weapon. These guys, to me, look like... The other things look like monsters and stuff. These things do look bioengineered. They look almost like semi-mechanical. It's weird. I, I love these guys. Yeah, probably like HR Geiger vibe to them, haven't they? Yeah, I'd love to see like a, a bigger, like a more elite version of these or Tyranid Warriors with this sort of over the shoulder. They're almost like the um, missile launcher marines. You're the ones oh, that, yeah, the old, they are, aren't the, they? The, the old style ones, yeah. 
I wonder if we get a new Biovore in the set, whether it has more of this kind of aesthetic. So a big, like, you know, oxen-sized thing with a similar, like, shoulder-mounted weapon. That would be cool. Because basically yeah, I think, um, that the, the lore about it is that the, the gun is a different organism that's grown and then is, is, is born by these into battle. Yeah, I think Eddie said that these guys are kind of like your... Um, they're meant to sort of like almost cause like pinning on infantry units. They're kind of like a barrage unit, um, which would be interesting to see how or what they do rules-wise with like morale and stuff like that. I um, remember him saying that they're quite that they're a lot shorter range than some of their sort of bigger brothers in the Tyranid army as well. Yeah. So and again, it's it's going to be target priority. I think taking out the uh, Tyranids. Now, my second favourite Marvel in the box is the Psychophage. So mm-hmm. this is a tuned creature that eats human, uh, eats psychers. He's um, a psycho vacuum. You, well, you, well, yeah. So it, it eats a psyker. It takes their psychic essence, converts it into an ash that it then sends out its chimneys to do, you know, horrible things to the enemy. So basically, like a, a, a mini portable biomass um consuming device yeah mm. it very similar to a venom crawler doesn't it it does but it looks gribbly and beautiful yeah i i really like sounds this lovely <laughs> <laughs> I I think, like, um, like andy said i think the only slight downside is it is very similar to the venom crawler but it's different enough to be its own creature and yeah it's one of my favorite models in the box so yeah. I I don't think it's a downside because I love the Venom Crawler. Um, I think my favourite Tyranid model in in the in this box is the Neuro Tyrant, but this one is definitely a close second. I mean that that mouth and all those teeth, it, you know, it looks like it could devour a tank. <laughs> what I really like about this model is the attention to detail. So if you look in its mouth, its tentacles, it's got a Space Marine arm that's like dragged off of a body and pulling into its mouth um and i think there's other little details scattered about the range as well where there's just that extra bit of character and flavor to the model it's really really cool the, yeah, like the sculptors have had a bit of fun but from a lore point of view if it eats them and converts them into this ash you can see the ash coming out of its chimneys and it's just got bits of the tyranny uh, the bits of the space being that it's just finishing off eating yeah yeah horrible looking thing i love it um so what we also saw on here as well, which was really cool, and something that um, was a theme for Warhammer Fest, is Games Workshop starting to do a 12-month roadmap, which is amazing. In the past, they've kind of, really the most you've seen ahead is three months, and in the last few reveals, they've kind of toyed with stuff a little bit further out. We're now, on the whole, for most of the, the, the previews, they said, right, this is everything that's coming in the last next 12 months. Now, obviously, they haven't gone into super detail and some things they've kept secret, but I think this is a massive change for the better. So in summer this year, we've got Leviathan coming out, the core book, the Tyrannic War Crusade book, the index cards, and the chapter-approved deck. So this means that you can buy just that big Leviathan box, which has got all the stuff in, or if you, you're not fussed about Space Marines or Tyranids, you can buy the core book, and you can buy the mission cards and then the index cards for your faction. The <clears> index <throat> cards will have the rules for every single current 40k faction on day one. And they will be kind of like the... the, the I, I, I don't think they're like stopgap kind of cards. 
I think they'll be trying to make these the the uh, I guess the continued rules for those models, which is really good because I think you were worried about that as well, Jay, weren't you? That these cards come out and then the Spaceman Codex comes out later that then replaces half of those cards. Yeah, the 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 the, the, the not the danger, not the worry, but the the sort of negative effect of not I can't think of the right word, but I don't I'm not meaning to sound so negative because I'm not so negative, but a knock-on effect of a new edition is that those books that came at the end of the previous edition potentially have a long wait now until they get 10th edition proper rules. And then there's always a, a bit of a power gap between the codexes designed for an edition and the codexes that you just have to make do with. The fact that all of these index cards are coming out at the beginning, every army is ready to use going in, into 10th, for me is a massive positive because it means, okay, and we've seen the codex sort of um, released for the next, I think it's in the next 10, 12 months or so, the roadmap they showed us. You know, so there's a lot of codexes that aren't coming in the first year, but I don't think that's going to be such an issue for you because these these index cards, if they're going to be sort of valid for the entire life of an edition, which I think it sounded like that was the intention. I think that's the push that they're trying to do, which is really yeah. good. It basically means that the game's been balanced day one, and then they add flavour in the codexes rather than rules. And it also means that, they can do one-off model releases throughout the year as well. Which we've and, talked about plenty of times on the show, haven't we? Like an opportunity there, mid-edition, you know, outside of a codex cycle to get a new unit for, you, for your armies. It sounds really exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things they also touched on as well is that Crusade is going to more sit in bespoke kind of like Crusade supplements rather than in the codexes. And this is something that we've we've talked about in the past as well, where some codexes had far better crusade mechanics and others and sometimes i think it was just a kind of filling out that but those pages in the book they didn't quite have it right when now this feels more like the horus heresy black box where they'll go here is a crusade that features how you know a dozen different factions here's the storyline here's all the stuff that happens you can fight your games within that framework and level up your units and get more stuff to unlocked like <laughs> with the kind of events that warhammer world have done i think crusade really fits that rather than just being i guess sometimes crusade was a little bit formless wasn't it where there was no overarching narrative yeah you were leveling up your guys but it was all a bit detached where we could all get together and play through this new tyrannic war crusade book and have a bit of our own story yeah i i like so there's two i've got two views on this one i do like the idea of crusade books coming out with you know, because they'll have unique crusade for that specific campaign upgrades. Mm. You know, there may be a particular relic that you're looking for, and it's in that book. Really, really cool. I like the idea of that, and it doesn't mean that you know you've got your crusade, your your codex comes out earlier into an edition. That's not you know you, you're going to have additional crusade rules as the edition goes on because they'll keep releasing these books. So I, I do like that. That's really good. The bit that I, I, I'm sort of a bit sad about is that. There's some of the, the stuff in the codexes. So if I look at the Votan book, for example, where you're collecting resources, you're expanding your empire, you're building these upgrades and things like that. And it doesn't necessarily have a massive effect on the way the army plays in Crusade games, but it's a really, really cool sort of like bookkeeping exercise that you like to to develop the sort of history and, and background for your army as you're playing with it. And and I'm, I'll be a bit sad to see that 
disappear. Now, we don't know whether it will disappear. We don't know whether that will be translated to a codex, so you'll still have that mechanic to play around with. Yeah, and then you've got a little bit unclear. On... I, don't know, I don't know whether it's a case of like the, 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 the unique upgrades and relics that have disappeared, but they still have their own Crusade mechanic or Crusade complete. I don't, I don't think they'd get rid of it completely from no. there. I think it's more so that the meat of the Crusade stuff's in these supplements. I mean, the beauty with Crusade as well is... is you can you can create your own content for crusade you know if you want to create some sort of mechanic for your army you know maybe you're an eldar army and and you want to be able to collect soul stones so every battle you tally up how many opponents you you know you can build it yourself it doesn't matter so yeah like i say two views really on it not really that negative i i'm quite positive about that yeah and i guess they can they can put in most of these campaigns, there's going to be an attacker or a defender. They could have a unique mechanic that could then be applied to any army that's on the good or bad side as well. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing that. Um, and obviously all these books are available separately. So I know Andy, we were in the seminar together, and Andy was saying what a great thing it is that you can just buy the 40k rules without all the lore and without the crusade stuff, if that's what you want. I think it gives yeah. you it's much more modular now, isn't it? Potentially yeah. a smaller book to carry around with your two events and things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think we've done that since I think it was sixth edition, where they separated the rules and the sort of narrative and then sort of like the miniature showcase and stuff. And I thought it was fantastic, like because for me, I took the Age of Sigmar core rules to the Age of Sigmar event a couple of weeks ago, and I carried that big, big rule book around for about three pages whereas if they separate them all out for me personally that is it it really does feel like they've listened to the community and are taking those steps to make it easier for players and that is like two thumbs up for me yeah one thing they mentioned is that the the numbering of the core books a bit weird so when it gets to the actual core rules the pages start from one again and that means that whichever printed version of the core book you've got, the rules are on the same page. Right, yeah. So so if it's just the slimline one, page 10 will be page 10. If you've got the big Uber book at Leviathan, it'll be page 10 of the rules, which means for FAQs, they can just go, you know, page 10 to change this word to that word. And also means that if you're looking up with your opponent and you've got different books, the page references will be the same as well. A little, that's little thing, brilliant. but that's really good, isn't it? Um, so we'll quickly run through the roadmap. So in autumn, no surprise to anyone, Tyranids and Space Marines are coming out. Um, in the winter, the Adeptus Mechanicus and the Necrons are getting Codex releases. And then in spring 2024, Dark Angels, Orcs, Custodes, Tau and Chaos Space Marines. So this is the most kind of like year-long view we've ever had from Games Workshop. That's saying like, look, this time next year, you'll have an Orc book. Awesome. Well, I think in the past there's been a fear to share that information because it might mean that people don't start an Orc army. But I think actually the opposite will happen. People will go, cool, there's a new edition of the game coming out. I'm going to buy a Orc combat patrol box and start painting it up and working on it until the spring when presumably I'm going to get new stuff. I yeah, believe well, they also mentioned that all these are going to get new models as well. At least yeah, one yeah. new model, they said. So, mm. I mean, you, you, maybe for some of them there'll be more than one model, so... Yeah, so so that's cool. All of the day one stuff that you can buy the index cards, they're all available to download free down day one, and their detachment stratagems and enhancements are also available to download day one. 
so yeah, I'm really excited. I, I know we've spent a little bit of time on Leviathan, but that was kind of like the big, the big reveal from this one. Does anyth- anyone get anything they want to add before we uh, move on to the next section? I can't believe Games Workshop, Games Workshop, make me buy a new Tyranid army, and I cannot wait to see what the guard can do in the new book. Even though they, they I mean, even though they're not getting a codex for a while, I love the fact that we're getting the cards for every army on day one. Everybody can get involved. Everybody feels like they've got a new army. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun all around. Yeah, I think, I, um, I, I, I think it's it's less of an issue waiting for your codex when everybody's got their tenth edition and like full tenth edition rules day one. Games Workshop today released a community um, article as well, a faction focus on the Space Marines today, uh, and they said as well that over the next um, um, few weeks and whatnot they're going to be releasing a faction focus for each faction. So mm-hmm. you'll get that sort of hint into how an army might have changed and how they're going to play so looking through the space marine ones there are quite a lot of changes to the way the space marines play a lot of the sort of rules that you've been familiar with for a couple of years now have got completely different rules so it's going to be it's going to be really really cool i think to see how how each of the different factions are affected yeah Yeah. um, in the seminar they did say that they've made more boxes of leviathan than they've made for any other box so the issues that we had when Indomitus went up for pre-order, I know it was like COVID and that sort of stuff, um, where it sold out very, very quickly. Um, we're hoping, obviously we don't know numbers and stuff, but we're hoping that because they've said this, you know, they've, they've made more boxes than any other, that, you know, you should be able to pre-order it without any issues and and hopefully get it on release day, which is... Uh, I think it's very encouraging to hear and very reassuring to hear as well. Yeah, um, a, lot, a, a lot of people online, a lot of people online often say that oh, Games Workshop have made limited amounts of this to build up hype. What? Why would they want to do that? Surely they'd rather have more copies sell, and make more money. Mm. It's not an ideal situation if if something like this sells out in five minutes because they could have sold ten times as many. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be easier to get a hold of. They also mentioned that it is going to be popular. They've made, they've made more than any other box they've ever made, but chances are it will sell out. It is going to be a limited release. However, all of the content of that will be available separately soon after. Now, some of the details are a little bit fluffy, but um, the majority of each side in the box is a combat patrol. So there might be some models that you don't get within that combat patrol, but you will be able to get those models out of the box in one. So that's reassuring as well. Again, if if you just want the Tyranids, you know, for some of the Space Marines as well, that might be another option to save some money too. Yeah, I think the fact that they, they, they confirmed that they're going to be split off, um, I think that's really good. It gives everybody the chance to, to get the models they want. Moving on to Warhammer Underworld's Weird Hollow, uh, we saw the next Warband that's going to get released um and this is and this is what what is this called and this is the cursed executioners they are um basically uh, sent by nagash to go and uh, be judge jury and executioner for the various people who have um committed crimes against nagash and nagash he's he's a little bit unreasonable you know, oh, Dave, you, you didn't tie your shoelace. That is a crime against Nagash. And the, the <laughs> sentence is death. And the, the war band is kind of like built around this. So there's a guy who sharpens the blade. There's the guy who's got the block that they put the head on. There's the guy who's got your, your list 
of crimes that you've committed, and then there's the headsman himself who lops your head off. Every person that is destroyed by that blade becomes a minion in Nagash's service. And from a gameplay mechanic, every time somebody is killed by it, you can replace one of your dead models. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, really, really cool. These look really nice. It's nice to get some new nice haunt stuff. Um, and I'm looking forward to using them in the game. Again, they did share a roadmap for this as well. So in the spring, we've got the weird hollow box up for pre-order. It's possibly even out now by the time you listen to this. And then in the summer, there'll be the Headsman's Curse box, the, the Executioners, a brand new Rivals deck, and then an updated starter set as well. The starter set is going to contain old warbands, but it'll be a cheaper way of getting into the game with just the, the decks and the cards and the dice and the, those two warbands. And then in the autumn, there'll be a new Chaos Warband. Um, that is not aligned to any of the Chaos Gods, interestingly. Mm. And there'll be a new core box, like Weird Hollow, with two warbands, two decks, and then two rivals decks. Again, personally, I think the six-month core box cycle is a little bit quick for Underworlds, but yeah. it does mean that you get two cool new warbands every six months. And then in the winter, there'll be a new Destruction warband and another new rivals deck. So. Yeah, pretty cool. Anyone got any anything they want to chip in on that one? I really like the new Nighthawk Warband. I think they're very, very cool. Um, but I, I just, I just don't like this. We've, we've just had Weird Hollow. What we're getting one more Warband separately, and then there's going to be another box. It, yep. I don't like that. I don't like that. I, the, at least, at least release a couple more Warbands between these boxes. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that that's one announcement I didn't enjoy this weekend. I mean, you're right, Matt. It does mean we're going to get two cool new um, warbands in that box, but I just think it's too soon after Weird Hollow. Yeah. So moving on to the Middle Earth part of the uh, presentation now. This was an interesting one. So this, the, the studio kind of said that there is cool stuff coming on the way, but they couldn't talk about it yet. And me and Andy were sat in that seminar, and, and reading between the lines, it seemed like I don't know, it was an external party to Games Workshop that had, at the last minute, made a decision where they couldn't show anything, mm, which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I think um, Adam was walking around, wasn't he, in the, in, in the seminars, taking questions from the audience, and in between sort of like jogging from one sort of queue to the next, he did say that there was a lot of Middle Earth stuff planned and, and you know, the hands were tied um so yeah whether or not something you know very very big is happening obviously we don't know but something must have happened for them to to not reveal that much middle earth because middle earth is quite a popular game for them so yeah so eddie eddie kind of made a cryptic remark saying that the middle earth games are based predominantly on the the new line cinema movies by peter jackson and on the books but there is potential that there is future releases from other media. Now, obviously, we know that Peter Jackson is making new films, and presumably Game Switch will have the license to them. I wonder if GW have acquired the license to Rings of Power, and then someone at Amazon's maybe said, OK, you can't talk about this yet. Mm. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Because there's, you know, there's, there's lots of potential for new models there. But they did show off a new model uh, it's more of a kind of collector's piece to celebrate the 20-something years since The Fellowship of the Ring came out. And it is a little diorama of uh, Get Off the Road, 
So you've got the four hobbits with the various carrots and cabbages and stuff that they've uh, stolen from Farmer Maggot hiding underneath the tree as the ring wraith passes over them. Now, I've seen a lot of people not too happy about this model online. I think it's gorgeous. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'm picking this model up. I'm painting this model. I think it's amazing. I think it's a really, really cool. So, like you say, it's not not necessarily a gaming piece, but as a collector's piece, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I don't don't know if people were maybe disappointed that they couldn't use it in games. Now, they did say that the ring wraith actually pops off the base and you can use them in your games as well. Yeah, I think it was more along the lines of people were just a bit frustrated that this was the only reveal. You know, it is gorgeous. You know, it's another plastic. Well, it's not plastic, but another ring wraith um, and a beautiful diorama. But yeah, I think that the negativity was that this is the only reveal for Middle Earth. Um, but like we said, their hands were tied. So, but yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I can see a lot of these being entered in next year's Golden Demon. Yeah. And like you say, as uh, I mean, we're all fans of the, the Middle Earth films, so being able to paint this up and have it as a little trinket to kind of celebrate the anniversary, I think that's really cool. So we also had some more information about Warcry come up, and we saw the final box in the current season of Warcry, Nightmare Quest. So this pits a, uh, a band of Stormcast Eternals, who all look absolutely gorgeous with a range of different weaponries, facing off against the Flesh Eater Courts. Now, the Flesh Eater Courts seem to be getting a little bit of love at the minute because they've got quite an old range. A lot of it was, was fantasy. And this is a really interesting uh, warband where you've basically got a, I think, I'm sure they said he was a vampire and he's been um, kind of cast out by his fellow kin because he's more feral and horrible. Uh, he's got a little baron that goes with him who who has killed a beast and he's displaying it above him. You've got all the various the squires, uh, especially at court squires, who kind of ride out with him. And then you've got the awful hounds, horrific looking monsters that are basically any of the uh, flesh eaters that have displeased the, the leader of this war band. They throw them down into a pit and they slowly start devolving into these horrific beasts. Mm. Uh, I mentioned to Andy during the, the stream, these really should have been called gorillas, shouldn't they? <laughs> But yeah, they, they look really, really nice. Now it comes with the uh, a Realm Shaper engine, which is obviously the, the the ship that we've been fighting over. We've finally got a little bit of the ship sticking out the surface. I'm a little bit disappointed it isn't a Crash Seraphon ship. But I guess that's essentially what the, the Realm Shaper engine is. It's a bit kind of like poking up above the surface and the, the focal point that we've all been fighting over. So it looks pretty cool. We had a roadmap for the year as well, which was awesome. Um, and... And some interesting stuff here. So we've got the Flesh Eater Courts versus Stormcast Eternals in the spring very, very soon. Um, and then we've got a starter set coming out in the summer. That is designed for new players. It will have scenery in it. It will have old models in it. It's not new models, but that is a permanent release. That's always going to be on shelves designed for getting people into Warcry. Because I know a lot of people have been disappointed that those big boxes filled with scenery have... Um, you know, they've sold out, they're, they're not always available. But as the guy said during the presentation, it's not feasible to have four big boxes like that on the shelves all the time. So there will no. be a starter set that new people can get into. It's probably going to have smaller warbands and a smaller collection of scenery, a bit like the Kill Team one that they did. Um, but again, it gives people an introduction into the game. 
Now, for the next year, there won't be another big box set. The, the, the next season isn't going to start quite yet. They want to give this season of Warcry a little bit of breathing room. So in the autumn, there's going to be four new warbands, two order ones, and two destruction ones. One of the bits of feedback that they've had <coughs> is that there's a lot of chaos in Warcry. For 2023 to 2024, they want to give all the other factions in the game a chance to get unique stuff for Warcry. Mm. So yeah, so two order ones, two destruction ones in the autumn. And then in the winter, there'll be another order one and a death one. And then in spring, the next season will start. There'll be new scenery for that. There'll be some separate scenery releases that come out, like the mausoleum set that you've got, Dave. Which yeah, I like a, those. A new range of scenery and some cards. Um, but yeah, the focus is in getting those warbands for the other Grand Alliances. What do you guys think of that being... I know, like, Jay, there's some cool warbands, but you'd really rather, like, a bespoke Luminous warband, for example. Exactly, yeah. So I'm, this is quite exciting to me. I'm um, quite looking forward to seeing what the different um, order, destruction and death warbands will look like. Uh, because I think the Warcry warbands, even though Chaos definitely has a lot of character in its range anyway, but the Warcry warbands have been really, really cool. So those jade sort of zinchy looking ones with their yeah. own sort of backstory. Um, I mean, we had the Skinks. The Skinks were really cool, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is really, really exciting. I'm, I'm just hoping there's there's an ogre one give me some ogre love and make them like man eaters or with some funny knoblars and yeah yeah it's nice to see that destruction of finally getting some war cry stuff yeah and they also mentioned that they don't necessarily need to make them compatible for age of sigma they'll, they'll always make rules to make them work but if like this this flesh eater one it's basically two heroes two small squads of three different you know models and then the two dogs same with the the um, the skinks with the the terror wings thrown in that in Age of Sigma just become their own little unit. Yeah. I, I they're not so restricted to making it have to be an Age of Sigma squad, so that's really good too. Because a lot of people just buy these just to use in Warcry as well. So moving on to the Immortal Realms, we finally saw more of the cities of Sigma, and the big kind of well, the big reveal was the new uh, the new cavalry the Sigma Cavaliers, and these are just gorgeous. These are everything I wanted from them. Um, Jay, you, you quite liked these as well, didn't you? Um, yeah, these are, they're basically reimagined Empire Knights, aren't they? Mm. Um, really, really nice. Um, I, do, I do like these guys. Um, some nice details on the bases and things like that as well. Um, so I'm really excited to see what the rest of the sort of I'm going to call them the Empire, because to me, they're just Empire. What the rest of the Age of Sigma Empire range is going to look like. Yeah, well, one of the things that they said, and we weren't sure how this was going to work, but traditionally, the Cities of Sigma was... Uh, I forget who it was. Someone said to me during the show, Cities of Sigma is where all the Warhammer Fantasy kits went to die. Which is a bit yeah. sad, but really, that is true, isn't it? It's all the old fantasy kits mushed together. And what they want to do for Cities of Sigma is, this is now the mortal human army and specifically human and and this is what humans look like within the mortal realms a lot of the current range will be discontinued but some of the kits will still exist now with it being human focused i do wonder if many of the elf and dwarf kits that are still kicking around finally hit retirement maybe to get re-released in the old world 
Possibly, um, yeah. Like the dwarf ironbreakers, longbeards, those kind of things. Yeah, there's not but many of them left, is there? To be fair, there's not. No, but they did say that, that some kits will be will still be available, and it'll be apparent before the book comes out what will still be available as well. So it's it, it is always a shame when things get discontinued, but I think out of all the books, Cities of Sigma is pretty much a clean sheet, isn't it? You know, yeah, they, is. they, yeah. they didn't really have an identity other than old fantasy kits. So seeing stuff like this cavalry, can you imagine the kind of really cool stuff that's come in? Now that we've seen the knights, absolutely. Yeah. Now, the other bit of uh, Age of Sigmar news that we got was a bit of a surprise to us. And it is a new multi-book campaign series called The Dawnbringers. So there's going to be four books. And this series tells the tale of Sigmar's Grand Crusades. The Dawnbringer Crusades are formed up of various aspects. There's, there's criminals and scum and all sorts in there, alongside some of the more established armies and the like. And the um, the book will the, the books will tell the tale of two of these crusades that are travelling out. One into actually the realm of fire and one into going around the realm of life. What we know is that one of these crusades will succeed, one of these crusades will fail. And basically, over the course of this book, you align yourself really to one of these crusades that's going out, one of these theatres of war, and there's different repercussions depending on who wins and who loses. It's We've been dying out for some Path to Glory content for Age of Sigmar, and this seems to be the real big narrative push with a four-book campaign you know, involving all the factions, with loads of new models. I think it's a 12 plus factions are getting models within this release. Wow. Um, to really kind of tell a tale. There's no match play content within this book. It is all about the narrative. The Path to Glory rules are going to be released for free online. So if you don't have a core book, you can still play along with this and pick up some models and play through the Path to Glory. Um, the books will have the War Scrolls in for these models, but they'll also all be released online too. So really, if you buy this book, it's for the, for the narrative and the, the kind of Path to Glory content. And, I mean, the Thundia book was amazing, wasn't it, guys? It was. It was really good, the Thundia book. So take that, turn it up to 11 and put that over a four-book campaign. It's going to be amazing. So they said, yeah, 12-plus factions getting models for this. They showed off a few of the models that are coming alongside book one. So first of all, there's a uh, a... Shudderhood. So this is a, a collection of, of um, rock bringers that follow a, um, a harbinger of decay. So this is a reimagining of the old Nurgle Lord on a horse, and it looks amazing. I know you were super excited about this one, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I've got a massive maggot kin of Nurgle army. Um, so seeing the harbinger of decay come out in plastic, and then looking at it, like this i mean obviously we haven't seen uh, like a true true scale but comparing it to like the puskal blight lords and the blight kings it looks like it's going to be a nice big um a nice big model and the harbinger has been crying out for a plastic kit since you know eighth edition fantasy so yeah see, seeing this i I mean, we'll, we'll talk about our top three later on in the episode, but this almost made my list. Spoilers. Um, yeah, but yeah, it looks fantastic. I need to add one to my army. 
Uh, the Flesh Eater Courts also get a new hero, uh, the Marrow Scroll Herald. He is the kind of herald for the Flesh Eater Court side. For the Fire Slayers, we've got a Grimhold Exile. So he's the sole survivor of a Magma Hold, and he looks very angry about it. And then we've got the Rabble Rouser, who is a new Gloom Spike Gits character, who kind of, I guess, encourages the Gits to war. Now, goblins have only got little squeaky voices, but he is kind of inhabited by the voice of Gork to bellow commands and get his guys going. And more importantly than that, he's got bat squigs flying over him. So all these models will be available separately, but the first place they're available is in boxes, bundled with a load of models. And they look really good boxes. Obviously, we don't know how much these are going to be. But it seems a similar situation to the boarding action boxes for 40k. We get a really good deal if you buy them all together. Um, They did share a bit of a roadmap for Age of Sigmar as well. And stuff is coming super fast. So in the summer, we've got the Seraphon book alongside the full Seraphon release, which is crazy. That's like, that's not far off. And then the Harbingers... Uh, book one of the Dawnbringers coming out in the summer and the General's Handbook. Then in the autumn, we've got the Cities of Sigmar Battle Tome, book two of the campaign and book three. And then in the winter, we've got the final uh, Battle Tome, which is presumably Flesh Eater Courts because they're the only ones who haven't got one at that point. And then yeah. book four of the campaign. Now, presumably after that, we'll start seeing the, I guess, the storyline move towards the next edition of the game. Yeah. So, this um, yeah. this new Dawnbringer series, you know what it, it harks back to for me? The malign portents that we saw? Yeah. Very similar to that, isn't it? it, it, it but way more expanded. It, oh, malign yeah. portents with yeah. a very light touch. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's more like Broken Realms, really, but dialed up again. Yes, absolutely. They, they've they've taken the best bits of malign portents and they've 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 you know looked at how well the Fondia narrative book is and they, they've gone from there. Uh, I like, you know, I'm spoiled for choice when it comes to all four of the different warbands that they're doing. Um, it's quite a tough choice which one to go for. Well, something that will make the choice even tougher is that the uh, the Iron Jaws feature in book two, Dave, and Woo-hoo! there will be Iron Jaws releases for book two. Now we saw one of these at the event, and that is the Morgrunter, a massive, really angry piggy. So it, it's hard to kind of get a scale in this guy because it's got, like, brutes on the back of it, hasn't it? It were big, chunky boys. Mm. But um, in the seminar, they said this guy is bigger than a Stegodon. I think he's just bigger than a Stegodon, but slightly smaller than a Moor Crusher. But he is big. And yeah, he's th- awesome. They mentioned there's a few different ways of building these and potentially there's a way of taking them as battle line, too. <laughs> so if you want to have all the bacon all the time, you can do. I think you're going to add one of these to your army, Dave. You are absolutely right, Matt. Um, one of my favourite reveals of the weekend. This guy is absolutely going into my Andrew's army. Yeah, so he looks really cool. So moving to the Horus Heresy and um, the Old World, we had a nice reveal seminar with some really cool stuff. Um, the big one for me was the Serastis Night Lancer in plastic. So the kit came out about 10 years ago as a resin kit, and it's a really nice kit. But, um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to be able to pick up a plastic kit. For a start, you can get it from a discount from a third-party store as well. And some people prefer working with plastic models too. Looking at the model, I don't think any detail has been lost between the resin one and the plastic one. I don't know about you guys. No. It, if I didn't know better, I'd think that was the resin one. Yeah, and in fact, I can't remember if the original one 
has got um, resin banners. I don't think it does. So the fact that this has got sculpted plastic banners, they can then put your heraldry on. I think that's a really cool touch. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously the Serastis Knight has a couple of different builds as well. So presumably we are going to get different weapon loadouts for this thing as well. Mm-hmm. So is, is anyone tempted to start a knight army with this for heresy? Me. Yeah. This one was uh, was my favourite knight with the the lance and shield. I just think it looks so cool. But yeah, with it being resin, it's always just been. Um, it's quite big. It's taller than the other knights. It's got like a sort of slimmer profile, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, really exciting. And like you say, it, it's uh, what comes after this because there are three or four different variants on this chassis. So yeah, very cool. And obviously, you know, it, 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 quite usable in 40k as well. So if you're if you're a 40k player, not just for heresy, you know, this is going to open up options for you. Yeah. So alongside this, and I think it's coming out at the same time, we saw the characters out of the new uh, Siege of Cthonia source book so do you know about this basically a a splinter uh unorthodox sect of the sons of horus want to go back and reclaim uh Cthonia. uh i don't think it's really on the Warmaster's orders is it jay i think it's i think the the kind of between the lines is this this force goes out to do it kind of outside the Warmaster's sphere of influence um, yeah they see it as like a a, a mark of shame that that they've lost their homeworld and they want to reclaim it for their legion's honor. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, so um, we see Varen Ashahadan, which is a mouthful. Uh, he is the first reaver, and I do wonder if we see some new reavers, Jay, with this kind of aesthetic rather than the old ones that are you know quite dated now. Yeah. Um, and he he has assembled a force of space marines, titans, and dark mechanicum to go and reclaim um, Cthonia. Uh, up against them is a force of Imperial Fists and Loyalist Thousand Sons, if I remember rightly from the preview. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Which is uh, which is pretty cool. The model's really ace. Obviously, it's a Reaver, but he's way better than the current Reavers that you can buy. Uh, there to stop him is uh, Lord Castellan Evander Garius, who is a absolute kind of wall of a terminator for the imperial mm. fist you 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 would not want to square up to this guy he's um he, he he like you say he's a he's a big i mean the imperial fist praetors and cataphracty armor they are quite chunky models but this guy yeah i can't wait to see him in the in the is he a resin i think he's a resin model plus i'm not sure if they said yeah, i think i think both of them are resin they said yeah he's got his arm like uh, he's got a power fist that's pointing out an underslung Volkite sort of weapon on his other gauntlet. He's got like a, a bear fur or something over his shoulder. Um, and there's like a, uh, you can see the um, Sons of Horus Legionnaire on the base that's been, uh, I don't know, is it flayed by the Volkite weapon? I'm not sure, but yeah. really, really cool. Yeah, it's going to sting that. Um, what, so- what, oh, I was going to say, what I really like about this one as well, there's lots of cool details. So if you look at his iconography, he's got like a, a shattered fortress tower as like an emblem on his um, on his mm-hmm. armour. Uh, and I think when um, I've Eddie or Adam, when they were talking about it, this guy's not in Dawn's favour currently. He's seen as quite a hothead and uh, quite um, arrogant. And um, it'd be interesting to see what his story is. Yeah. So apparently um, when the order came to Cthonia, he, he pledged that only Dawn himself would be able to stop him from doing so. Which is a bit, uh, again, they're slightly more level headed normally, the Imperial Office, but this guy seems a bit more passionate, doesn't he? Yeah. 
so so yeah so he's coming alongside the new book which is really cool um they also showed what's coming up in the future as well now this some of this is a bit further out and presumably the next year will be stuff from this campaign book the big kind of tease was plastic assault marines now this is something that jay i know you have been crying out forever uh mark six you've got chainsaws you've got jump packs uh you know this is exactly what you want for your blood angels isn't it yeah they show two like um mock-ups renders um and they look so aggressive they look you know i'm very very impressed with with the sort of two mock-ups that we've seen um and these are these are due this year aren't they before the end of the year so yeah so so the, the, again they showed a year-long roadmap for heresy which is great to see uh very soon we've got the vindicator coming out alongside those two named characters so presumably within the next month or so they're coming out in the summer the night lancer's coming out along with new characters and upgrades presumably that'll be include the 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 resin assault upgrade which i think has just been a little stopgap to hold people over for the next six months until the plastic ones come out. In autumn, there'll be more Lords of War coming out. So uh, I suspect that'll be the different sprues for the Night Lancer in order to build the different variants of the Serastus pattern knight. Uh, and they shared an image. In autumn, there'll be a new Dreadnought coming out and a new Armour Mark kit coming out. It looks like a Drado Dreadnought in Mark Three Armour, I want to say, Jay. Yeah, I think I think the, certainly Mark Free armor was in the image we saw in front of the Land Raider with the uh, Derigio Dreadnought in the background there. So mm. they're coming in the autumn alongside a Primark, and they clarified the Primark is not Jagati Khan on his jet bike. Wow. So Lorgar Ascended, I think, is the only other Primark with a profile that doesn't have a model yet. Yeah, interesting. Right. So that'd be cool because Lorgar's quite an old model as well. But again, they did mention that they want to do models to represent other Primarchs at different times within the uh, within the Heresy as well. Now, you mentioned this the other day, but that little blurb that we've read from um, the the new Imperial Fist character that only the authority of Dawn himself would, um, you know, stop this plan from happening. Could we get a new Dawn model, maybe? See, well, my my thoughts on this are the Sons of Horus and the Imperial Fist. They've been they're the they're the sort of poster child of the Horus Heresy two game. So you see on all the box art, it's either painted as an Imperial Fist or it's painted as a Son of Horus. Um, mm. The new campaign we've got Sons of Horus and uh, Imperial Fist. Now with the new edition of the game, Horus got a new sculpt, and I wonder whether. Dawn will also get a new sculpt. You yeah, know. in the same way that neither of those Primarchs are probably going to be at this battle, it still fits into the theme of this campaign, Fists versus Sons, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. But certainly there's a strong argument as well, I think, for, for someone like Logar as well, because, I mean, it, it, that, that, is a, that is a profile in the, in the um, books, which it can be represented by the existing Logar model, but it wouldn't. It would be nice to see a bit more of a demonic-type Logar-looking model um the good news is is we don't have very long to wait to find no, out we don't, so. <laughs> we don't. and then then in the winter the plastic assault squad comes out so i suspect for christmas you'll be asking for about six kits of them jay at least there you go. Um, that, that'll take me blood angels up to six thousand points there'll be new characters and upgrades and then also a mystery army release now we were we were chatting about this but again 
reading through some of the text on this website while doing this podcast, it specifically calls out that the Dark Mechanicum come with the Sons of Horus to take this planet. Technically, we don't have a Dark Mechanicum army list. We have a Mechanicum Tagmata army list, and it says this represents the Mechanicum at the start of the heresy. So Traitor and Loyalist would have had the same kind of units, but that further on in the heresy, the Dark Mechanicum diverges from the standard Tagmata. So I, I am going to guess Dark Mechanicum release in winter. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think you, you could be on something there. Um, the other thing they showed at the, um, at the Horatosi preview was the, was it the Inducti? The Inducti, yeah. So these are, these are space marines that have been inducted by a legion, but they've been, you know, for various reasons, they've been rushed through the, the normal sort of space marine induction process. Um, or, or there's been some change to that process. So the example they gave was the Imperial Fist actually recruiting youths from Kifonia to replenish the ranks. Mm. Uh, mm. And then what happens is there's like um, some, you know, unusual traits that might be um, apparent in that sort of breed of Imperial Fist that might not be represented in the small traditional Imperial Fist Legionnaire. Um, so they showed sort of alternative and an opportunity of alternative color schemes, heraldry and things to these kind of units. And they showed, um, I think, a, a different helmet design or a different helmet color scheme for each of the uh, 18 legions uh, to represent their different inductors. So these will have like perhaps a different rule or, or, or you know, add a bit something different, uh, some unusual tactics. And they talked about the sort of social differences and the cultures and things like that. So it seems like some really, really cool background for those. And also some really, really cool rules that might be coming for those kind of units. Um, but then I wondered whether the Mystery Army might be related to them in some way. Almost like, do you know, the, the, whether they're Black Shields or Grey Shields, I can't remember what they're called yeah, now, which the, were the, the Shattered Legions, that kind of thing. The only thing that gets me is it's a plastic Mystery Army release. So rather oh. than upgrade kits or something. That's why I think Dark Mechanicus. Oh, did they say plastic? Oh, right. Yeah, it's plastic Mystery Army release. And if it's winter, it'll probably be a, a big wave, similar to scale to a 40k army release. Well, I didn't, I didn't catch, I didn't see, I didn't see there was a model release with it. Cool. All right, okay. So, so that'll be super exciting. And then in the spring, we get plastic melee weapons for use with the assault squad, which is cool, and a plastic legion command squad too, which I know a lot of people have been dying out for. And again, new characters and upgrades. So, lots of stuff. Again, it looks like this book will come out in the spring, and then the next year we'll basically be releasing the things from that book, won't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. So, yeah, really, really exciting. Now, we did, of course, uh, get a little tease for an upcoming game set within the Horus Heresy universe. <laughs> Not a lot to see there, but it's epic, isn't it? Uh, it's hard to see past that after you watch the teaser trailer. Um, it's got to be, hasn't it? You know, little units moving around in like a almost like a legend formation so, yeah it's so, gotta so, be so it's, the icons they use are exactly the same as the icons they use on epic battle reports in white dwarf mm. for the for the for the units oh i know me, me oh, mine and jay's very first warhammer battle was using cutouts of those yeah was very true it definitely brought we used to we used to cut up um all the sort of square boxes and make our own little battle reports on the uh, dave's desk just rolling dice we had no idea about the rules no idea what we were doing but we just really loved pouring through those white dwarf I had magazines, yeah. didn't we, Dave? We did. Yeah, so if, if Epic has come in, that's amazing. It's probably quite some time off because it's just a tiny little tease. Now, we did see a little bit of information about Warhammer the Old World. I think I think a lot of people were maybe expecting to see, like, a launch box or something. And I think that was maybe a little bit optimistic. 
we did see some new models and we did see some cool stuff. So we saw two resin models, a new Tomb King and a Bretonian Paladin. Jay, do you want to share your thoughts on these boys? Ooh, these are really, really cool. So yeah, we, we, got, we got the uh, both models on foot, which was interesting for the Bretonians as well. Um, they showed um, some extra detail on the Bretonian one. So you've got various heads that you can use on it. Um, the, and then the, the Tomb King was on foot with like a, a weapon sort of uh, sword outstretched out, out forward. Lots of cool detail where his skin was like falling off. You could see the skeleton underneath. Really, really nice detail on the armor. Um, <laughs> and this was just like, you know, the, the uh, they, they said, there's you know, there's more models coming for these two factions. Um, yeah, it was really, really good. Really, really cool scene. What was really, really cool was there was a guy dressed up on the front row as, as a Bretonian <laughs> sort of grail knight. He looked just like the Bretonian paladin that they showed on the screen. Yeah, so. by a massive coincidence, he had the stag horns and everything. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was brilliant. The guy probably made up when he saw the model. Now, they did show a little bit in the Q&A afterwards. That isn't on the Warcom article. And there's a few clarifications that have been since then as well. So they've got no release date, but they want it out ASAP. So again, I wonder if they still are aiming for this year, but it's a bit fluid, maybe. Um, there won't be a starter box. Now, starter box, as in, you know, for 40k and AOS, you've got the three different size starter boxes that are designed for new people to the game, where Horus Heresy, Age of Darkness, isn't really a starter box. It has two armies in there and a big rule book, but it doesn't, like, ease you in gently, does it? So there'll be no starter box with like basic profiles and, and a limited selection of models that's not to say there won't be a launch box like age of darkness uh-huh. and and i suspect it'll be the same model 180 pounds two armies big book um, the didn't kits... they, um sorry didn't they say that they were going to be doing like um almost like start collecting boxes which would probably have like a couple of the old kits sort so, of uh, so put said... into a box People ask that question. They said there'll be ways of easily starting armies, which That's good. people took to mean like start collecting box style things. Equally, though, that could refer to the big box if one is coming as well as an easy way to start an army. So, yeah, yeah it, it's exciting. It, it's going to be a mixture of old plastic kits returning, uh, new plastic kits and new resin kits. They said really kind of looking at your infantry kits being plastic and then characters and stuff being resin. There won't be new stuff for every faction in the game. On day one, there'll be free downloads that you use your existing Warhammer Fantasy army in the old world. So if you've got an old one, if you've got Chaos Dwarves, if you've got Skaven, if you've got, I don't know, Dark Elves, you'll be able to use all of them in the old world. However, the old world release schedule is going to be tied around this War of the War of the Three Emperors, is it? Yeah, I think um, that's what they said, yeah. And the, the factions that are tied around that. So specifically mentioned on the stream were Orcs, Empire, Bretonians, Kemri, Dwarves were mentioned, Athol Lorenz on the map, and there is a little Ulthuin um, symbol on there as well. So from that, you can probably deduce the first six or seven factions. They specifically said that Chaos Dwarfs won't be a featured faction, uh, only old world races, so there'll be no uh, lizardmen in there, and the Skaven aren't featured. But if you've got those existing armies, you can use them with a legal army list that'll be available day one. What does everyone think on that? I think that's the best way of doing it because they can't possibly release twenty odd factions. 
I got I got the impression that it was very much an experiment still, and they were mm. testing the waters, and um, it doesn't make sense to invest and start supporting such a massive range of armies and things without testing the waters first. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, if it sells well, then yeah, we'll probably see a different campaign every year or something maybe and releases around that. If it doesn't sell well, well, they've only b- created stuff for those six factions then, haven't they? Yeah. 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 I, I'm I, uh, 100% with Jay on that one. It, it it does feel like they're testing the water to see what what people want and, and not jumping into it too much just because obviously fantasy didn't sell that well towards the end which is probably why we moved into age of sigma but bringing it back i i think a lot of players are going to be very heavily invested into it i mean for me personally i always wanted to do a bretonian army when i was a kid and i just didn't have the money to do it and so when they showed off on warcom a couple of weeks ago that you know the Bretonian knights and the men at arms and stuff like this were the were the returning kits, the same kits. For me, I was just like so excited because I really wanted those old models for the the nostalgia. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, for me, when old old comes out properly, I'm I'm jumping in with both feet. So <laughs> I think yeah, for um, me it was awesome. I think for for me, like when Warhammer Fantasy was out. Obviously, we were a lot. If we take us four as an example, we were a lot younger. Um, now, you know, we've we've come of age a little bit, and in, a, in particular, Jay, <laughs> in particular, sort of Jay um, and Andy, well, and probably you, Matt, you've kind of grown up and you've you've missed that rank and file. Um, and I think that's going to be the case of a lot of people. Maybe some people when they were a lot younger weren't massive fans of fantasy, but now they're a few years older, actually. They want something a bit more rank and file. Um, yeah, I, I think I think this will be popular, uh, and I think I, I can see them definitely expanding it out. Um, the fact that they don't have, like, a, a starter box, I don't think hinders them in this case. I think the idea of, like, a combat patrol or a starter set um, is quite nice. Um, I'm definitely tempted to pick up some Bretonians myself, although I'm not fully feeling the old world charm yet. There, there is plenty of time. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys will have me around and having a game, and then of course I'll have to buy an army. Um, but yeah, it's very think... exciting. I can see, I can see why a lot of old world fans are are, are very excited. Yeah, just yeah, kind of in there as well. The, uh, the it, it doesn't have a starter set in the same way that Horus Heresy doesn't have a starter set. It's got a big, awesome value box, but that box is aimed at experienced gamers. They said that if if you're new to playing games, the old one's probably not game for you. But if no. you've played other systems and want something a bit more detailed and to get your teeth into, we've chatted about this in the past, haven't we, Jay? Where it, I think like. Horus Heresy is a more complex version of 40k. Old World's going to be back to that old, more complex fantasy battle game rather than Age of Sigma, which is a little bit more simplified in comparison. I have to say, I, I enjoyed this seminar. Um, the the Horus Heresy bit was blew me away. I was I, I, we saw so much more for the Horus Heresy and that roadmap that I was expecting to see for the Horus Heresy. On the Old World side, I really really enjoyed what what we saw and i thought the q a session afterwards was really really good i just think you know 
we've been fans of the old world for decades we were told the old world is coming we've been shown sneaks and things over the last few years it would have been really nice for them to give you know maybe a hint at what some of the rules would be like a bit i, I did feel it was lacking a little bit i what it left me wanting to know more but not in a great way i, I did feel a bit let down by i think uh, the reason you i think the reason you're feeling that is because on warcom just recently um it felt almost like the old world was getting close, close. yeah this, here's the base size this yeah. seminar kind of battered you back a bit straight away this they started talking about the old world and the first sentence that came out of the mouths were this is still some time away yeah uh, and something like but, oh, oh right but they didn't say this is years away no they didn't it could be they out didn't. this winter and they just want to s- slow build the hype for it you'll notice that this is the only seminar over the whole weekend where they didn't give a year view yeah so I think it's sooner than we think. I think but because it's so secret and they want to keep the excitement and mystery up, you know, it, this could happen this year. But can you imagine if they'd given a bit more details out that how many people, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And maybe for the next event where there's more details they can show, they'd say that those models had only just been painted. So we're probably still quite, you know, far in development, but not quite there yet. Yeah. So the final reveal that we saw over the weekend was for Kill Team uh, Dave. Do you want to tell us a little mm. bit about Ashes of Faith? I, I don't know why you're passing this to me, Matt. I've got I've got no idea why uh, <laughs> you're looking at me to fill us in on this. All right, yeah, this this is big news. This is probably some of the biggest news from over the weekend. Ashes of Faith is going to be the next box we're going to get for Kill Team, uh, and it's going to be stepping away from the the current Gallo Dark. Um, series of boxes that we've had this is more of a, a narrative um expansion i think is um is what it what it was called um and it's going to kind of give us a give us a different way of fighting so instead of like even teams we're going to see a little bit of a mix-up um which sounds really really interesting however let's let's not beat around the bush let's talk about what's going to be in the box inquisitorial agents we're yeah. talking, yeah, henchmen of your inquisitors. We're talking interrogators. We're talking preachers. Oh my days! This, this, this podcast listeners is what I've been waiting for all this time. Um, I cannot wait to get my hands on these models. Um, there's, I think they said these are some of the um, some of the most options that they've ever done for Kill Team. You really yeah. need to have two boxes of these. To, to be able to build all the different um, models that you'd be able to get in your kill team. Yeah, they look really, really customizable. You build seven Inquisition models, but I think each of those models can probably be built a couple of different ways. So you yeah. see the guy with the kind of icon bearer can also be built as a guy with a massive double-handed axe. Yeah. There's, there's the servitor can take three different weapon options. Yeah. So off the top of my head, he's got a plasma cannon, a heavy bolter, and a multi-melter. Multi-melter, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really, really excited for these. Um, they're not led by an Inquisitor. Um, they're led by an in- Interrogator. The Inquisitor's too busy. He sent his agents down to, to do the to do the dirty work. Um, now, what's really interesting is, as a kill team, you can take um, a big unit of just Inquisitorial agents, or instead... You can take the seven inquisitorial agents, just the seven uh, that come in the, come in the, the, um, the on the sprues, um, and then you take um, 
a unit from elsewhere in the Imperium. So in the actual box, you also get a unit of Scions and a unit of Sisters of Silence. Um, so those two can be taken along with your Inquisitorial. You could also maybe bring Carskins um in other different other different yeah units. so the the six in total you can take the the scions and the sister silence you can take the carsicans the imperial navy breaches arbites exaction squads or veteran guardsmen the the idea is that you have all these in your roster and at the start of the game your inquisitor chooses who to deploy to that world so you've got a lot of freedom compared to some of the war bands the question did come up on in like a a, a kind of quote marks crusade what's it called spec ops game you're normally limited to 20 uh people that will be a little bit different for the inquisitors um it means that if you're coming up against something that's maybe got lots of psychers you can drop in the sisters of silence or if you're playing a gallo dark mission you might want the navy breachers to go in um if if you're looking to capture something you might want the exaction squad the, the the key thing here is in this campaign box, it's not necessarily like a match play game. Mm. There'll be a story. So there might be a mission where your guys need to go in and arrest somebody. So you might want to take the Arbites to go and do that, arrest this person and drag them back to the planet. They said it's yeah. going to be more like a, a kind of like a, a a mystery crime show where your inquisitorial warband's trying to find the clues and track down the cult leaders and go and kind of drag them away off planet. I think this um, kind of uh, goes nicely into the, the other half of the box mat. What you know, the the chaos models that we get with it. Yeah. So so obviously this this planet has got a bit of a chaos problem. Um, and in the box alongside the Inquisitors, you get these are all old models, but still really good ones. You get the um, well, they're not that old, are they? Really? Well, no, they no. came out in the, the last release. But you get the standard chaos cultists. You get the box that contains the mutants and the torments, and you get the Dark Commune. The Dark Commune is essentially the core of your kill team, and then you start with a load of cultists. Now, in game one, say if me and Dave were playing this campaign, Dave might do really good and kill all my cultists. Awesome. The future missions are going to be dead easy for the Inquisition because all the cannon fodder is dead. Amazing. However, however, each of those cultists has a potential of being mutated into a mutant that is even stronger. Each of those mutants then has a chance of mutating into a torment. So by the end of the campaign, the traitors could have like 10 torments running around the battlefield, big, gribbly, horrific monsters. So and again, it's, uh, they kind of stress this isn't, this isn't balanced. This isn't match play. This is all about the story. Me, me and Dave playing through this box could have a different story than you listening to this playing through this box. And I think that's a bit of a shift in, in the game, which is, I, I think, traditionally quite match play. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, they also mentioned that this is a test. Like a lot of things that they say, this is a test. See how it goes. If... Um, if it goes well, there's other Black Library stories and stuff they'd like to adapt to this kind of box with a kind of branching storyline and things change depending on what the two different kill teams do. I I love the idea of this. If, if you're into match play, okay, maybe it's got less appeal to you, but both of those kill teams you can use in match play and there's rules for using them in match play. But for for us being able to create our own unique kill team story, Dave, yeah. I am really excited to play this box. Yeah, me too. 
me too. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I can't wait to get my. Well, yeah, the, the narrative mission is going to be really fun to play. But first and foremost, man, I'm excited for those um, inquisitorial agents. Yeah. So, so it should be really cool. Um, they also mentioned that. The next season of Warhammer Heroes is nearly out. So this is the blind bag Space Marines that have been... They've done a few of them now. I think there's been three of them so far. The next set is designed. So if you collect all of them, you've got a fully functional kill team. And the rules for that kill team will be on Warhammer Community. Mm-hmm. And this is cool. You've got, like, Phobos armor. You've got Tacticus armor. You've got Gravis armored stuff. You've got a captain with a power fist. It looks a really nice, like collection of different space marines and jay i know you were like converting up a chaos warband into um space marines you've potentially got a warband here you could use to better represent blood angels yeah and that, that i was thinking the same thing like because the, the space marine kill teams currently especially the primaris ones they're very you know it's a unit of assault marine uh, instances it's a unit of primaris it's a unit of a uh, heavy instance you know you can't mix and match and you have to look to like the chaos one and things like that, where you get a bit more individuals in the squad. This looks very much like a sort of spec ops, almost like a uh, a Death Watch kill team, isn't it? So yeah. yeah, really really cool. Well, they did mention it is blind bag, so there could be the danger of you just you know finding it hard to buy the whole thing. But what they did say, if you buy a sealed box of eight individual boosters. Uh, you will have the full kill team in there, plus one duplicate that you can then sell or give to a friend. So that's the way to do it then, isn't it? Yeah, so if, if, uh, I think they're about £5 each. You're talking £40, but from a third party, you could probably get it for like 36 quid, and then that's not actually that much more than just buying a kill team anyway, and your kill team's then essentially made up of single-frame character models, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really, really cool. So so they look really nice. Um, again, they they did share a little bit of a teaser to um, show what the future holds for Kill Team. And this looks really exciting too. So in the spring, we've got Gallo Dark coming out and hot in its heels, we've got Ashes of Faith, the narrative expansion. And then in the summer, they're doing um, the release. I believe the release of the Space Marine things is not a Games Workshop exclusive at first. I think Game stocked them off the top of my head in some bookshops. And then later on, it'll be available in Games Workshop. Uh, there's also going to be every kill team that's ever been released is going to be released separately in the summer. So you don't have to buy those big boxes. And then the kill team annual comes out, which contains the rules for every kill team this year. So if you've not picked up all the individual boxes, you can still get that book. And you've got all the kill teams in one book, which is a really nice way of doing it. And then we ended with a bit of a teaser about where the season's going. So the next season starts in the autumn part one in autumn part two in winter it's not going to be necessarily gallow dark missions it's not necessarily going to be open missions like the first season they will do something different with terrain and again they were they were very kind of vague with that and um, the teaser mentions that the ship the gallow dark has crashed down onto a planet and there's an eldari presence Ooh. so it also mentions uh, mentions that there's like um choppy waves and water and stuff so could this be like different environments to fight over like jungles and beaches and flooded areas and have like more interactive terrain elements that they can do with models now we were talking about planets with eldar on and could this be a maiden world and we see the uh, exodites on here 
there's only there's only three different types of Eldar world. One of them is not even a world. So you've got the craft worlds, which are spaceships. So it's not going to be a craft world, I don't think. Then you've got two other Elder worlds. The maiden worlds, like you say, Matt, which are the worlds which have sort of been populated by the Eldar that escaped the fall. They live sort of um, one with the planet. They've got the world spirit, the Exodites. Really, really cool to see Exodites in the, in the Warhammer 41st millennium again. And then you've got the crone worlds, which are, these were the home worlds of the Eldar in the Eye of Terror, demon worlds now. And actually, I think both of those types of worlds would make a good setting for Kill Team. Yeah, a question came up about, wouldn't it be really cool if there was a Terminator's versus Gene Steeler cult box? And um, Adam's response was, wouldn't it be really cool if there was a Terminator's versus Terminator's box? So, you know, we mentioned about multi-part Terminators. Could they be in a Kill Team box later in the year with new multi-part Gene Steelers? Could we see new catechins on here if it's like a jungle environment? Oh, yeah. I, I think there's lots of cool stuff they could do in this season. Oh, catechins fighting like Eldar riding raptors. I mean, that's <laughs> that's awesome, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> it, is, it is really awesome. And again, I like that it's it's a different environment again. Like, I wasn't sure if they go back to the Galadar, we've had four boxes there with similar scenery. But equally, some of the game early games of Kill Team we had, I think scenery was a problem in the game, wasn't it? And I think they yeah. fixed that with the close confines of the Galadark. So by having something in the middle, so dense jungles and have it more like the um, the Warcry boxes, is a nice mid-ground where you've got lots of line of sight blocking and you've, you kind of can't just rely on sitting on top of a building shooting people that move. Yeah, no, so, I think you're right. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Um, I'm I'm very excited for for everything that's going to come for Kill Team. I just need to have a game now, guys. Yeah, huh. well, so that that is all the reveals from Warhammer Fest. And that's a heck of a lot of stuff. Yeah, I hope I hope you still I hope you still with us after all that. Some amazing stuff there. I mean, I'm not going to say which was my favourites because that's the whole point of our top three in a bit um but there was um lots to digest um i think uh we're going to take a slight pause let people get a fresh drink and get some food on board but we haven't finished our warhammer fest coverage as we're going to talk about the event itself next So what do we think of Warhammer Fest itself, guys? I know there's been a lot of comments online, both for and against it. So just want to kind of get get our thoughts. Again, we had been invited by GW Dan, but we did also kind of, we all paid money for tickets as well. So kind of give us a perspective from, did we feel we got value for money from those tickets? So first of all, let's touch on some of the, the added extras. So I did a painting class. Um, they had a couple of these, I think there was nine of these over the course of the weekend. And they basically touched on different techniques. So the one I did was non-metallic metal. Uh, the class was two and a half hours. There was, I don't know, about 12 people in the class, not many. And it was headed up by Mr. Nick Bayton, who really, really great. He had a camera set up so you could see exactly what he was doing. But then he also went around and spent some time with all the painters as well and could give you like some advice and tips at your table it's great watching a video to to learn how to paint a technique but something completely different essentially having a tutor in the same room with you and i thought that was one of the best parts of the whole weekend really really good um i think it was 40 pounds for the ticket however you got a during the class you got a small brush and a medium brush you got to keep them and then you were given a box and were told that you could go to the shop 
and have any 10 paints and any two brushes to take home as well. So just the materials that you got from it was actually more than the price of the ticket and, and the lesson was really, really good. Now, you did the basing one on the Monday and had a slightly different experience, didn't you, Andy? Yeah, so we, we had the same camera set up, which I thought was really well, um, really well done. Um, I can't remember the, um, the the person's name who ran it, but it was the um, TV presenter with orange hair. I can't remember what her name is. Now. Oh, uh, Lizzie. Um, Lizzie. Lizzie, yeah, she, she ran it um, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, like we had the, um, some bases uh, with texture paint on them. And they'd done them beforehand so they were all dry um, and so that we could literally just jump in and you know start putting washes and contrast paints and you know trying all this sort of stuff out on them and you know they went through um, weathering with um, sort of necromunda bases which I thought was really good because that's one of the um, sort of things that I, I was hoping I was going to learn from it which was great um, so I, I, I got a lot out of it in, in that sort of sense um, and then um, the other thing was um, they did um, different style bases using different texture paints. So we had like sterling mud, astro granite and Armageddon uh, dust, I think it was, which is my favorite. And then they showed you how to make sort of different style bases. But the, the Armageddon dust one, I thought, was really good because for me, I've uh, I've used it a lot, but I want to make sort of like a deserty dirty sort of base rather than sort of like normal ground and um yeah it turns out using nasdrag yellow contrast and stuff like that was was the way to do it um but unlike your class we we didn't really get anything any paints or anything like that to take away we got some um bases and some of the um uh, basing frames with like scores on and stuff like that but we we were sort of only allowed to take like one frame of schools um with us sort of thing and and some of the bases that we worked on we, we didn't get any paints or paintbrushes or anything along those lines and my ticket was i think about 35 pound for that um which i i i didn't quite feel was was worth that amount of money you know had they given us you know 10 pots of paint or you know some texture paints some shades, some dry brushes, and you know, um, even a texture tool, you know, one of those to use, and maybe a, a dry brush as, as well. I think that would have made the money, but yeah, it it was still worth doing. But I I don't think I'd do it next year, not for that price. Yeah. Now you also did the Warcry one day event. How did that go? Yeah. So I I took part in the Warcry event on the Sunday. Um, because I wanted it to break up the weekend I didn't want to just you know be walking around the whole weekend I wanted to take part in an event and Warcry was a, it's obviously a low model count event and that for me was perfect because obviously you know <laughs> lugging our luggage all around Manchester and stuff I didn't really want to be carrying an army at the same time um, now the event itself started a bit ropey um, and what I mean by that was they, uh, when we registered on the Best Coast Pairings app, they gave us a uh, event pack, which is the same one that's online. Uh, and to start off with, it wasn't followed. So the scoring initially was done on like a major win, minor win, 
uh, you know, and that, that sort of thing. But in the event pack, it said you get five points for a win, two points for a draw, and one point for a loss sort of thing. Um, so we had to sort of update best coach pairings app to to get it um, working like the event pack said. And even things like um, the table numbers. So the table number, table number one was 260 um, because they put the table numbers out for the whole hall. Um, so basically what they ended up doing was basically they said your your table number, add that to 260. Um, and then someone, someone basically just said, well, why don't you just get a pen and just go around and write the table numbers on them? Because, you know, and in my first game, me and my opponent, we turned up to our table and we were on table 16. But it turns out table 16 was actually like three tables to the left. And we were so, actually on table 19. Sounds like another scavenger um, hunt. Yeah, it did. And um, yeah, yeah, but uh, the big thing for me, um, big criticism was in the event pack, it said that the sort of like um, best po- best painted war bands and stuff, that was going to happen between um, like, round four and the award ceremony it didn't it happened between round two and three during lunch which makes sense but because they put it in the event pack saying it was you know towards the end i didn't go around and take pictures of any of the best painted didn't even get to see them um which was really quite frustrating to be honest with you um apart from that the event went smoothly um i played Four amazing opponents. Um, I played against a guy called Alan in the first game with a Chimera and loads of Plague Bearers, which is, you know, inverted commas, the meta at the minute. And he ended up coming second. Um, and then I played um, the Spider guys. Um, the name escapes me off the top of my head. Uh, I played Nighthorn and then I played uh, Pure Nurgle Demons at the end of it. And they were all really good fun. Um, and I took my, like I said at the beginning, Chaos Legionnaires. Um, they were really fun, very simple. It helps if I could roll above a three plus. Um, <laughs> turns out I didn't um, for a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, the, the event itself, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It, it definitely didn't run as smoothly as I would have liked. But at the same time, I did still enjoy it. Uh, and I ended up winning two games um losing two games and i came 29th out of 55 players which i'm quite happy with to be honest with you awesome so would you do an event at warhammer fest again i would definitely do a one day or again yeah i i think going for a two day um and i think some of the two days like the age of sigma and the 40k one actually some of the players ended up doing three days and playing eight games over over three days which is insane in my mind but um yeah i think doing like a kill team one or a war cry one um especially for me it it broke up the weekend and it, it got that gaming fix for me so yeah i think i definitely would awesome so we also uh went to the pub quiz uh we we we, we teamed up with um with garrow of uh various rumors and news fame over on facebook and I, I apologize, I forget the, the name of the, the, the other chap that joined our uh, our party. But that was brilliant fun. Big props to the um, the team for putting that together. It was brilliant. And I highly recommend joining that if you do it again. We'll also mention as well, the prizes that they gave away looked really good for that too. So, yeah, highly recommend that. Now, uh, Dave and Jay, obviously you didn't do any of the ticketed events. You just kind of experienced the stuff happening in the hall. Um, what hmm. do you guys think of the the non-ticketed stuff on show 
So um, I think that the the most um, the most fun one that we did was the scavenger hunt that was on all weekend. So the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, you used the Eventies app and you went around searching for clues and scanning QR codes. Um, if you were attending uh, just one of the days, my only criticism would be that, so basically because long story short um each day if you managed to complete that day scavenger hunt you got a you got a piece of um like a circle like a piece of a puzzle if you managed to do the saturday sunday and monday those then fitted together to make a, a complete image you had the true survivor joining the imperium or the gene sealer cults um no choice you got, at all pardon no choice at all. No choice at all. <laughs> I think me and you went Imperium whilst Andy and Matt went um, Dean Steeler Cult. Yeah. Um, you could then buy from the shop, uh, for, for, I think it was £7.50, uh, a quite a cool-looking medallion thing with little magnets on it, and you could then attach your pieces in there, and it gave you a nice little collectible to take away from the event. Um, but really, you could only get the full benefits of that if you did the, the whole weekend. Um, but it was it was still quite fun going around, you know, reading the clues, I know me and Jay um, and and Andy really struggled with one of them. In fact, we may have ended yeah. up cheating a little bit, um, whilst Matt found it within ten minutes, which was disappointing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that that was really fun. Um, there were lots of video games um, on on display. Ooh, just um, jumping back onto the onto the scavenger. Oh, sorry. My, yeah. my my criticism would be that it was it was really really fun. But a lot of the props and questions were reused from day to day. Yes, they were. Yeah, they were moved around, which did make it um, a bit more interesting. Like it was the same props, but they'd be in a different location. Um, but you are right; they did reuse. A I, lot I of, like, almost feel it'd be better having like five of them each day, mm. and they're all different and all in different places. And like you might potentially spot one then on on Saturday, and then know yeah. where it is on Sunday when you get to it. Uh, yeah. I will say. Uh, <coughs> I will say chatting to a couple of people who were only there for one day, the the guy who was giving out the, the, the fragments of the medallion, if he knew they were only there one day, would actually give them the other days too. Oh, yeah. that's, that's actually... We we got helped out like that. We miss, me and Dave, we missed the first day. And um, yeah, they, they, they were quite quite helpful. So, yeah. I think it's a nice little collectible to take home, especially that you kind of, you, there was one of two that you can have as well, which was quite nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was fun. Um, there were a few video games that you could try out. Um, I think uh, there was a brand new card game, which actually I had not seen before, called Warforge. Uh, that looked pretty cool. Um, I think it's a Steam. I think it's on Steam. I'm not sure if it's coming to mobile devices. Um, there was also some already established games there, like Tacticus, um, Combat Cards. Um, you also had a demo of Bolt Gun, which is like a brand new Doom style, really retro marines versus chaos game which um which was pretty good actually which i wouldn't have minded trying but we uh, we didn't actually get around to queuing and trying that did we yeah what was um, cool with that is the game's not out for another three weeks as well so it was your first chance to like play it out in the wild yeah absolutely um so so that was that they were they were pretty cool um i think the main draw um sort of freebie that was on offer in the hall was the chance to play 10th edition so the chance to play the game for the first time using some of the contents of the leviathan box now there were five tables on offer um and there was a pretty hefty queue all weekend i think at one point uh it was up to four hours to queue to play 10th edition now it's great obviously giving gamers the chance to play the edition 
Um, but we were talking about this, and um, really, I think they, even if it meant using just sprayed models, they needed more than five tables, really. Um, the demand was 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 crazy for it. I mean, it, it seemed that people enjoyed, obviously, when they, they did queue, they enjoyed playing the game uh, and having a go at it, but that's a long time to wait for that. And it wasn't, I don't think they played for a full game. I think it was a couple of turns just to get no, a feel so, for so, so, so they played through a single turn. A single so, turn, was it? So you wouldn't necessarily, you'd learn things like in that turn, but you wouldn't get a chance to like action on learning that. Yeah. So I, I, I think, I think the numbers were limited due to the painted contents of Leviathan, but you didn't need to use Leviathan. They could have had an orc army and an Eldar army on one table and have yeah. like 20 tables and get through the queue four times as fast. Yeah, 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 that was a shame. Um, it, it would have been nice to to have more. To, I mean, obviously you're limited on stuff as well, but yeah, that that was a shame. Um, Golden Demon was, of <coughs> course, there, um, as popular as ever. There were some absolutely fantastic models in there. There was, a, there was a lion in there as well, painted by a certain member of the team. There was, uh, yeah. How, um, how did you find kind of getting into and seeing the Golden Demon area? I couldn't. couldn't yeah. They, uh, there was a there was a bit of a kind of a... They always are. I don't think this has ever changed. No, it's Even, always like, It's always like this, isn't it? There's, yeah. there's a bit of a kind of queuing system of people going through the cabinets, but really it's a free-for-all. I, um, I actually found it a little bit easier getting towards the cabinets compared to some of the other events we've been to. I don't yeah. know if that's because there was more open space around it or I just timed it a little bit better. Um, or maybe there was more cabinets. I, I don't know. Um, but at times, yeah, it, it did it did get very, very busy. Um, and again... You know what I would have loved? I would have loved it if they had taken a picture of each entry and just had it as a big slideshow on a monitor nearby yeah. or a couple of monitors nearby yeah. and then... All right, fine. You you're not like looking through each one, but you can you can watch and see some of the pictures going past and seeing like that. Because we, I mean, me and Matt were there all weekend, and every single time we walked past for a golden demon, it was just so busy we didn't even bother trying. Yeah, I think you you got quite lucky, Dave, because when me and Andy were looking on, on the Saturday was particularly busy. Yeah, we couldn't even see what was in the cabinets because of the crowd of people now there was uh, another problem on the saturday obviously we had that we also had the 40k queue and we had the shop which for some reason on saturday morning the queue for the shop stretched around half the venue oh, now wow. you had the 40k demo golden demon and the shop all in close proximity to each other the queues were overlapping each other mm. and it i i think in hindsight if they'd have had all three of those things in different corners of the room, you wouldn't have necessarily had that problem. No, there, there was um, a question about there was quite a big open space when you sort of walked in. They could have maybe utilised that space a little bit better. I mean, I, I can't really comment because the days that I was there, the Sunday and the Monday, the, the shop was actually, I mean, there was a bit of a queue, but it, it was nothing compared to what you just described on the Saturday, which I suppose is always going to be the more popular of the days to attend. Yeah, I mean, Saturday afternoon, I bought my pin badge and I didn't have to wait like longer than five minutes. But Saturday morning, I think there's a lot of kind of hashtag QFest online. I think it came from the fact that that Saturday morning, there was a lot of queuing. And we, we touched on the seminars. Realistically, if you wanted to get into seminars, you had to get there pretty early. Yeah, yeah I mean, probably think, an hour earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, at least, yeah, yeah. I mean, me and Jay, I think we queued for about an hour and a half, hour and forty minutes for the Horus Heresy. You didn't, you managed to jump in um, quite late, Matt, and managed to sneak your way in, but it was it was a close call. So yeah, you really needed to be there, like Andy said, a good yeah. hour, a good hour before. Um, um, I just want to clarify something that I've read online on that as well, and I've seen a few people saying that it, the 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 um, the seminars felt a little bit unfair because creators were allowed to jump in with their pass. That's not true. We we had to queue like everybody else. I think GW wanted it to be as fair across the board. And if like you know, 50 seats are taken by creators, that's 50 people who've maybe missed out. So just to clarify yeah. that, we we <laughs> oh boy, did I queue? <laughs> yeah, the only yeah. people who were able to, to to queue jump were those that paid for the the golden ticket. And if you're going to spend a thousand pounds on a ticket for a, for an event, I think you probably deserve to jump the queue there. Yeah, so well, in fact, that's a good little point to kind of jump on before, before we finish this section, the, the Golden Throne ticket. Now, we'd all seen this advertised, it, like I think it's a £1,000 upgrade to your ticket and, and weren't sure kind of if it'd be worth it, bang for buck. But it looked like you got an awful lot of stuff within those tickets. Um, the main gimmick, of course, being that you can get into all the previews. You had like reserve seating for it. Uh, you also had um, you had um, uh, like a little a little room that you could go in um, and have like refreshments and drinks and stuff as a little area to chill out. But the main kind of appeal of that was the freebies that came with you. I say freebies, you paid for them, haven't you? But there was approximately one thousand five hundred pound worth of stuff. So we chatted to Garrow, and he shared that within his box. He got Necromunda Ash Waste, the full big box, the Ossiarch Battle Tome, uh, Custodes, uh, Imperial Fists, and Astartes Dice, a T-shirt, some pins, some coins, a water bottle, both of the event miniatures, painting handles, start collecting flesh eater courts, the Imperial Nobles Blood Bowl team, the Titanic scenery set, a Space Wolves Combat Patrol, a Death Guard scenery set, 40k Manufacturum scenery set, Nether Maze, uh, McFarlane models for the Ogre and Sister of Battle and the Blood Angels from Dark Tide, a pair of socks, Forge World Gulliman, Khan, Magnus, and Korax, and a £250 voucher. That's mm. not a bad haul, is it? No, I think no, retail I mean, he did probably. Say... Sorry, Andy. Uh, he, he did say that the £250 voucher had to be spent at Warhammer Fest. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you uh, when you think about the Primarchs, they're a hundred pound each, roughly, aren't they? So that's that's four hundred quid. Um, but, you know, that's almost half your ticket. And for me personally, I haven't got any of the Forge World Primarchs. So for me, I'd look at that and think, fantastic. You know, I, it, it is a bit of a look of a draw, though, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, no, we the, it, there was another perk that you got as well, which he shared later on in the weekend, that um, as part of his ticket. For the next 12 months, he gets digital copies of every Codex and Battletome release, too. That's cool. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, that's potentially like a couple of hundred quid as well, isn't it, really? And that's being generous. Yeah. 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 It's like you said, Matt, it's it's <laughs> not knowing, isn't it? I mean, you've you've probably got an idea now. Next year, if they do it again, you've got an idea of what they're going to do, but you don't know what you're going to get. So um, it's an expensive gamble, but I think this year it, it, it paid off for those that, that bought them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose 
the other thing is you could just spend a thousand pounds on stuff that you wanted yeah well um, yeah but it, it did seem pretty cool now me and andy we did the premium box um, and we have got an unboxing part of the video, which will be up by the time you're listening to this. But essentially, you got both for an extra hundred pounds. You got both of the event models, which are um, I don't know, twenty-five quid each, something like that. Uh, a water bottle, a mouse mat, pin badge, coin, some of the bits and bobs in there, and you also get to redeem a codex after the show. Again, I do wonder if that's going to be. You can have a codex from the next 12 months. If it's a, you can redeem a ninth edition 40k codex. That's less good. So that will depend on, on you know, on what that's going to be. If it's yeah. a tenth edition one, that's pretty good having a digital yeah. codex, isn't it? Yeah. It is, um, yeah. So yeah. So I guess did people think they got value for money? I guess first of all, Jay and Dave from like the day ticket, and then Andy from the premium ticket. Um, it, when I was talking about sort of the things, I, pr- I probably sounded quite downbeat. Overall, I I enjoyed the event. Um, the, you know, I don't know whether or not that was down to the event itself or the fact that I met quite a few of our sort of community and, and spoke to other content creators. Um, you know, the, the people within Warhammer that we we speak to, sort of yeah, you know, like Nick and things. I I do think that improvements do need to be made. But for the price that we paid for our ticket, I think we probably did get value for money with the seminars. Um, yeah, what about you, Jay? Um, yeah, so I, I think value for money, it was value for money. Um, I think um, there were issues, and I think, you know, I, I, I was looking at the event somewhere I could take my children, and there's no way I could queue up for any of that things, any of that stuff in my, with my children that, you know, anything over an hour queuing is, you know, and in some cases three hours for a game, they're not going to sit there for that. But having said that, there was still lots to do. I think the atmosphere was fantastic. Oh, All yeah. of the cosplayers walking yeah. around, you know, there was lots of stuff going on. You could see things going on. You could look over and watch the game being played. You had all the tournaments down the bottom end. Um, and and so as a day out with the family and Warhammer fans, I think it, it, it was really really good. Um, I don't know whether I would go to the the full three days. Um, I'm not sure there was enough there to do to stretch out over more than a day myself. Um, would I, you be I tempted hope... by any of the paid add-ons like the painting classes, Jay? Um, personally, no, I wouldn't. I can see that they were really good, but it, it's not something that I, I would pay to, to, to do while I was down there. That would be something I would look to do separate to Warhammer Fest. I think mm-hmm. I would like to be at Warhammer Fest and experiencing Warhammer Fest with like the thousands of people walking around. But that's a p- personal thing, you know. I'm not yeah. not to take anything away from those events. And um, and there was, I think, you know, there, there was plenty to do there. You mentioned like the Squid Catapult, the Scavenger Hunt. I thought was brilliant, um, and I, I really look forward to doing that again next year. Um, and I think that's something that, that the, the, the kids w- would have loved. I would have liked, I mean, there was a hobby paint section, but there was a big queue for that as well. It was very crowded. And there was lots of space in that place. Put more of those tables out. S- mm. Tables with sprues where you can just go and sit down and, and talk to a staff member and build, you know, that kind of thing would have been brilliant. Yeah, so um, there, was, there was zero, outside of the like seminars and stuff, arguably even not there, there was no um, studio presence. So it's not like the game stays of old where, say, Ray was there. He could chat for half an hour about scenery. I think that was the one bit missing for me. And that, that I think it was definitely worth worth the money. And I really enjoyed it. I think for the 
the lulls in the three days, the opportunity to speak to the studio, and, and, and even if where they had their portfolios out and you're looking through the artwork, stuff like that really interested me, and I think that was the bit that was missing personally. That said, all of the Games Workshop staff that we did talk to were brilliant, you know, dead friendly. They're, even though they looked so busy, they'd stop and talk, always have a smile on the face. So it was a very welcoming atmosphere, and I think the staff did a great job. And to be um, fair, I think the venue staff did a good job as well. Yeah. Like, some of them looked a bit bewildered at all the millions of nerds queuing up for the um, <laughs> for the seminars, but I think they did a good job of making sure that walkways were certainly on the the, yeah. the Sunday and the Monday, make sure that walkways were clear and things were managed. Um, I would have liked to have seen them use the centre stage. You know, don't go and queue up for the seminars. The seminars were great, where you had Eddie and the talking Adam. It was brilliant, but but go on the centre stage just throughout the day. You know, you could have had the cosplayers walking around up there. Everyone could have seen it. You know, you could have had someone speaking there. They could have just done a talk to the whole whole auditorium about 10th edition for half an hour. You know, they don't yeah. necessarily have to put anything up on the screen, but just a bit of a... Maybe they'll do that next year. I, I thought, you know, I mean, it was a shame because the stage was behind all of the tournament players, wasn't it? So it would have been tricky to get to, I guess. But Yeah, one thing yeah, I noticed, but... if you look at the plans for the event, you know the big empty space at the front... Yeah. That's on the map as demo games. And I think yeah. originally the plan was have demo games for every Games Workshop system on there that you can play. Now right. that was all not there, and instead they had a single Kill Team and Warcry board just near the shop. Mm. Yeah, for I mean how many thousands of people were there each day? Do, you, do we know? Uh, I, think released was, any? I think it was eight thousand people there on the Saturday. Yeah, so so one one Warcry board for eight thousand people is a bit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think you touch it. I, I do intend to go again next year for either two or three of the days, but I'm absolutely going to take some models down either for a Warcry or Kill Team tournament, or they did have a couple of tables where you could just have a game um, of, of those two, not really a, a bigger scale game than that. I'd probably take some models down just so we can roll some dice. I felt that. I missed that. <laughs> seeing all these really cool models, especially yeah, yeah. on the tournament. I just want to play some stuff as well after what after seeing all yeah. going to the seminars and stuff. Yeah, so you more did, opportunity to play games would have been. Cool. You did have the board game cafe to be fair, if you wanted to play a bit of Underworlds or one of the board more. game cafe was brilliant, wasn't it? And yeah. also shout out to the um, the Titan Battle that was going on. That oh was yeah, that was yeah, uh, with the board game cafe, so basically they had a load of games workshop adjacent board games that you could borrow and play. They also had the Cubicle Seven team where. The, the the Cubicle 7 writers would play an RPG with you. I saw them sitting down, yeah. Which is really cool. So there was, there was lots of stuff to do. I think it depends. If, if you were looking for talking to the, stat, the, the, the designers of the games and the seminar bit, if that's the only bit you're focused on, you might have been disappointed outside of the seminars. For lots of different Warhammer things to do, there was a lot on. We, we managed to play well, i managed to play kill team live and that was amazing if you get i think it's traveling around the world to a lot of shows and if you get the opportunity to play it it is just insane it is it is essentially fancy laser tag but each each weapon was like unique so there was like 10 orc players 10 10 imperial players each of the orc weapons was different they had some heft to them they uh, basically it was like capture the flag. So there's like three objective points that you shot in order to take. And then if the enemy shot it, it changed to their color and they'd get it. Um, you could take a number of hits. You kind of had to manage your reload speed. So a, a las gun reloads quite quickly, where an orc weapon takes like six seconds to reload. Very, very active. 
I was absolutely knackered by the end of it. The whole experience lasted about eight minutes. The kind of prep was probably, I don't know, day about half an hour maybe. Yeah, something like that. So you probably, by the time, end to end, probably an hour in total by the time you've had your like little tutorial and you've watched the James Workshop voiced instructional video. <laughs> uh, and then eight minutes felt like about half an hour. I was drenched in sweat by the end of it. Really good workout. Uh, and it was great fun. My only criticism, criticism on it is quite dark inside, so you can't really tell who's friend or foe. Everybody was just firing at anything that moved, which added <laughs> to the chaos. But it was great fun. And big props to the staff running that as well. They got everyone G'd up and uh, you know everyone had to shout their battle cries for the Emperor or just wah. So, yeah, it was really, really good. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's worth going. I think there's things that they could improve for next time. And honestly, I think Game Search would take that kind of feedback on board as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for for me, I'd, I'd give the event a solid 7 out of 10. Um, there's there's definitely things that we could improve on, like the amount of demo tables. Uh, yeah, there just wasn't enough. Um, for the queues for the seminars and stuff like that, that really didn't bother me, if I'm being honest, because it's kind of like our choice to queue up an yeah, hour exactly. and a half earlier. You know, and, it's and... all going to be on Warcom and stuff like that. So it, it wasn't too bad for me. I mean, we went for a premium ticket, didn't we, Matt? And mm. I I honestly think, because I think we spent more, uh, it was £140 for a premium ticket for three days, or it was... Was it £40 for a three-day ticket? It was. It was £100 extra to get the premium box. Yeah, for, for me personally, I didn't feel I got 100 I mean, we did. We, we sort of like worked out, and you do get about 100 quid's worth of stuff in that box. Plus but the for codex. Me personally, yeah, plus the codex, yeah. Um, but for me, it just it didn't feel worth it. Um, I would have quite happily spent £100 less and had a you know, a £40 three-day ticket. Um, and then when we spoke to Garrow about the golden ticket, yeah, it's a £1,000, but that sounded amazing. Yeah. So uh, overall, I, I'd give it a, a solid 7 out of 10 for Warhammer Fest, my, my honest opinion. Awesome. Excellent. Um, well, that's that's Warhammer Fest really for for another year. Um, hopefully, they will you know keep it in Manchester next year because I think that worked for a lot of people. Uh, the location uh, and the event space was definitely big enough for it. Just maybe a few adjustments required. And um, we are getting towards the end of this week's podcast, but we do have a top three coming up next. So we've spoken a lot about the reveals, but um, we couldn't have this podcast without at least talking about which ones were our top three. So we're going to we're gonna quickly go through what we felt were the best of the best of the reveals. And I think we're going to pick on Andy first. What was your top three, Andy? So listen through these very quickly. My third choice was the Free Guild Cavaliers. Nice. Um, absolutely amazing. They're drenched in detail, and yeah, but they really do. They harken back to the old fantasy Empire Knights, but they dial it up to 11, which is really good. Um, my second choice was the Moor Grunter, because wow, um, I, I thought Gore Grunters were pretty big, but 
yeah, a, a gorgon to that's basically the same size if not bigger than a you know a troglodon sort of size uh, yeah that i mean i don't have an iron jaws army but i'd be very tempted and when i saw the the two brutes hanging off the side you know that gives <laughs> you some scale um you know there's two brutes who are like the crew which yeah, it's just insane um and then my first choice um for me was the kill team ashes of faith um because it's it it is kill team you know but there's match play rules for the for the teams but it felt like a very much a self-contained game of kill team you know I, i'd love to be able to you know, get my hands on it build and paint it and take it down to warhammer world or take it you know have friends on whatever and just play through it for a weekend just play yeah. through the campaign um and yeah, seeing seeing that, I, I yeah, I got really excited when I saw that kill team box. And then obviously the future of kill team as well, you know, where it's gonna go, that was all again very exciting. But yeah, my first choice was the Ashes of Faith box. Excellent. Matt, what was your top three? Well, my number three was the awesome sounding Dawnbringers Crusade. Number two, the plastic lancer, and the number one, my beautiful boy, the screamer killer. Ooh, nice, nice rapid fire top three there. Jay, what about yourself? Uh, my third choice, I think, definitely has to be those Horus Heresy Assault Marines. Really, really happy to see those on the horizon. Um, second choice, um, it's a tricky one. I'm going to go for the Stern Guard veterans from the Leviathan box set. I, nice. I, I, I really, really like those. Uh, my third choice was uh, uh, an off-the-cuff common in the uh, Old World Q&A session, mm-hmm. which hinted that we might see rune golems <laughs> it was the briefest of throwaway things <laughs> i knew there'd be an old world reference in there for jay i knew that i'd make his top three in some sort of shape or form uh my top three uh simply my third choice was the more grunter big iron jaws fan <clears throat> yeah more iron jaws thank you very much amazing model my second choice i'm going to pick out a particular model but to be honest the whole tyranid half of the box was amazing uh, i've gone for the neuro tyrant um uh, like i say the whole the, the whole side of that box has made me want to get tyranids again can't wait to get my hands on those and my top choice it is no surprise to anybody whatsoever at all it's the inquisitorial agents <laughs> um i can't wait to get my hands on those can't wait to play kill team with them the, i'm definitely gonna be playing 40k with them as well um, yeah, give them to me now. Um, a special honourable mention to one that Matt mentioned, nearly made my top three, and that is the Dawnbreaker um, Crusade books that we're going to be getting. Big fan of um, the Fondia book. If it's anything like what that was, then it's going to be a winner for me, hands down. Um, they are our top threes. We do have one final segment left. We're going to read out some of the community top three picks, so we'll be right back with that. So we just have time to read out the community top three picks and thank you to everybody for sending yours in. We've had lots across all social media channels. I want to start us off over on Facebook. David Anderson, his third choice is that epic tease. Um, his second choice is Leviathan. Didn't realize I wanted the Tyranids army. I think a lot of people are going to be like that. And his top choice, he's gone for the D- Deridio. Is it Deridio Dreadnought? 
I think that's how you we don't know it. how you pronounce that one, but we know which one he means. The Deridio, Deredio, Dorito. Yeah. Sure. Wasn't the official reveal, but I think it's pretty much a given, isn't it? It was in the um, artwork, yeah, showed yeah. on the screen. Yeah, he does have an honourable mention. All systems having a year-long roadmap, at least outlined, can make planning where my money's going a little bit easier. Absolutely. Nathaniel has gone for the Free Guild Cavaliers. He's then gone for the Nighthorn Underworld Warband, Headman's Curse. And his top choice is the Stormcast Warcry Warband of Questing Knights. They look fantastic, and I'm really excited to see more unique Thunderstrike models. Honourable mention to the Bretonian Paladin for the lady. Sean Gleason, epic. Bretonian Knight and Horus Heresy Plastic Night Lancer. Yeah, the Night Lancer nearly made my... I mean, it could have been a top 10. Um, Andy has gone for Tyranids and the massive Oruk um, Warpig. And because I'm old, the Inquisitorial Agents. Look, doesn't matter if you're old or not, they are some awesome Imperial Agents. Jeff Kemp has gone for the Epic Teaser, the Inquisitorial Kill Team and Leviathan. And Jack Hartness finishes off finishes off on Facebook with the Inquisition Kill Team, the Free Guild Cavaliers, and all of the Space Marines. Jay, what do we have on Discord? Lots of top threes on Discord. It's good to see the channel. Got a lot of uh, people in there now. Uh, we've got Elizana. Um, so many, I have to say. Number one, Leviathan. Those two are just gorgeous. And this is jumping off. This is my jumping off point to actually start playing 40 k instead of just painting. Uh, number two, Dave Ashes of Faith. Already a big fan of Kill Team. This looks like a great way to play. Uh, and lastly, they've got the Free Guild Cavaliers. Um, and we've got John Lee, the new Terminator captain. Yeah, really, really cool model, that one. Uh, new Kill Team box set, again, seems really interesting. And the Plastic Lancer was his top choice. Uh, Chris K. Hobbies, all about the Leviathan box. So he's got three top three. Uh, his top three is all from the Leviathan box. Uh, number three was the Norogaunts. Two, the Terminator captain. And number one, of course, the Screamer Killer. An absolute monster and perfect centerpiece for the army. Uh, Brian 001. Uh, number three, the Cavaliers. Number two, Harbinger of Decay. I think that's the first mention in Discord. And number one is the the Vivian box set as a whole. Don't think I'll be getting it, but it's just a very cool and nostalgic box. Um, Tavendale, Harbingers. Uh, the guy who I bought my Iron Jaws from got in touch afterwards to offer. Oh, yeah, there's a bit more there, but it seems like his Harbingers was just his top three, two and one. Um, Stuart Jaggers, Dreamer Killer. Uh, the original metal one is pure nostalgia for me, and I love the nods to the classic design and pose. Uh, number two is the Awful Hounds. Uh, Flesh Eater Courts are my main Age of Sigmar faction, so it was good fest in general. I loved how the Awful Hounds were something completely new for our faction and lore. Uh, and top uh, number one was the Harbinger of Decay. Absolutely stunning miniature. Studio paint job. Looks like a Slayer Sword winner. Um, Anonymous Rex. Uh, number three, New Bretonian Knight. Number two, the reimagining of the old Nurgle Lord on horse. And number one, the full Leviathan box set reveal. Models look even better than in the trailer, especially the Screamer Killer. Uh, JB, uh, number three, Plastic Deridio, Deredio, Dorito, Dreadnought. <laughs> number two was all of the Tyranids. <laughs> and his first choice was the Bretonian Paladin. Uh, Chris S, uh, number three was the Terminator Captain. Number two was the teased Return of Epic. And number one, Plastic Serastus Knight. Lots of those knights. I think a lot of people like those. Um, J.D. Lee, the Sterngard veterans from the Leviathan box. The Bretonian Paladin was his second choice. And number one, again, the Plastic Serastus Knight. Uh, and then Ben the Chicken. <laughs> number three choice, Ashes of Faith. Hurrah for narrative, narrative kill team. Number two, the beautiful, beautiful Warpig. 
And number one, joint choice, Screamer Killer and the new Ballistus Dread. Saw them both in the flesh and wow, hit the nail on the head. Oh, and also epic. Did we really see an epic teaser? Uh, Matt, do you want to finish us off with uh, everyone from Twitter? Well, over on Twitter, Rob Scott says, The Harbinger of Decay, Neurotine and the Inquisition Scribe. Uh, Garrow says, The new Sons of Horus character, the Inquisition Kill Team with Narrative Campaign and the Plastic Knight Lancer. Adrian Hurst says, Get Off the Road, just a lovely looking mini. You know what? That, that should have been in my top three, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dawnbringers, love some AOS and some new releases. Uh, and the One Will Fail narrative should be great. And Kill Team Ashes of Faith, Inquisitional Team, Growing Chaos Courts, and the Standalone Narrative Campaign. Sounds perfect. Uh, Christina says, The Bretonian Paladin, The Headsman's Curse, and Get Off the Road. Uh, Stephen Rhodes, Screamer Killer, Morgrunt, and the Nurgle Harbinger which is a glorious recreation of the artwork. Evan says, after all the reveals, three doesn't feel like enough. Uh, the Harbinger of Decay, an amazing reworking of a classic model. Uh, two, can't pick one, so it's Leviathan. One, the Free Guild Cavaliers. I'm getting more and more excited for the new Cities of Sigmar. Nevermore says, the Harbinger of Decay, the Headman's Curse, and the Royal Flyers. Lord Andrew Dennett says, the Screener Killer, any other Tyranid model, and the Bretonian Paladin. <laughs> Bertie says the Lord Castellan, the Plastic Assault Squad, and the Bretonian Paladin. And then says, um, but if if it is epic, that will lead leap to second. I think it is epic, dude. And then Mark Dewhurst, Maggotkin, Harbinger of Decay, Fleshy Eater Courts, Warcry Warband, and the Inquisition Kill Team. Phew. Oof. Is that a record for the amount of top threes you've ever had? I think it's it was an awful lot there. An awful lot. I have to ask though, Matt, what is the next podcast top three? Well, unusually, we know the majority of the Games Virtual releases for the next 12 months. So I want to know the three projects you want to do by this time next year. Excellent. Um, so we will be putting a, sort of a tweet and a Facebook message and a message on our Discord before we record the next podcast to give you a chance to get those entered. Or alternatively, you can send them to us early. Um, that was a pretty epic podcast. I think that all probably broke a record for being our longest podcast as well. Um, hope you've made it through to the end. Um, I think before we sort of sign off this week, a massive thank you to everybody who came to say hello at Warhammer Fest. Um, it was great chatting to you all. Um, we really are humbled, aren't we, guys? When like people come up to us and say like they enjoy the it's podcast. It's really nice to speak to like listeners of the podcast and stuff yeah it was great i mean we bumped into rob and dave uh it was great to catch up with garrow and then of course obviously the guys from games Workshop as well so it, it's always a highlight for me yeah i want yeah. to say massive thanks to warhammer community as well for inviting us down we we had bought tickets but the fact that they invited us down and let us film there and take part in some other things over the course of the weekend uh, is very much appreciated and and means a lot considering we just do this as a bit of a hobby and a laugh after work yeah. don't we absolutely exactly, unfortunately yeah. Back to work mm. tomorrow. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that ends episode 215. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another podcast. We'll be talking even more hobby. Until then, have a great time hobbying, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Spruce and Bruce podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbruce.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at Sprues and Brews or head over to facebook.com forward slash Sprues and Brews.